Access granted. Welcome nerd. Loading file. Load complete. And this is Damon. This is the Amazing Nerd Show. So, the Oscars. Yeah. All right. They just made this announcement. And tell me how this sounds to you. <laughs> They're going to have a new category. All right. They're going to have best film still, but they're mm-hmm. also going to have favorite film. Now, are these my favorite films? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it feels, to me, it feels like people's choice. Like, mm-hmm. just kind of weird. I don't know. I mean, what's the difference between best film and favorite film? I believe it's going to be voted on the same way. It's totally just their way of, like, sneaking in the movies that we talk about. You know, like horror movies and, you know, comic book movies. So, um, I don't know. It feels a little cheap to me. Yeah. I'm glad that those movies will get recognition. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But I almost would rather have them do, like, genres. Kind of like how the Golden Globes Mm -hmm. do it. You know, where they have the comedy i think slash um musical whatever which is a weird combination i don't know why they do that they have a lot of those weird sometimes the golden globes can be a little too much but the genres like maybe like the same film winning multiple genres and i you know i'm i don't know as long as my problem is with oscars it, it just becomes almost too like i don't know pretentious in a way like you know what the consumer cares like you know like you never see Star Wars, you know, in there, even though it will do these insane numbers, everyone's fawning over it, loves it, but it would never get actually nominated besides, like, you know, a technical award or, you know, score or something like Costuming that. Costuming Yeah, yes, exactly. Those are usually where they mm-hmm. get, like, we got Logan this year with the screenwriting, which I was, you know, excited about, but I think Dark Knight might have gotten the best picture, I believe. You know, we know Heath, Heath Ledger won yes. for supporting actor. But I believe Dark Knight might have gotten, like, a Best Picture nomination. But you knew, like, right off the bat, there's not a chance mm. in hell that they're going to win. <laughs> so I guess it gives more of that, you know, our favorite kind of genre, mm. like, a shot. But it feels a little cheap. I just feel like in a year or two, it's going to become an internet poll, and it'll be like, oh, you pick who I don't know if they would ever, like, stoop themselves to... You know, like a people's choice kind uh, of thing, but it does feel like that. And I, I feel like they could have done a better job, like naming it, like favorite picture, you know, or, mo- oh, I think it's actually not favorite. I think it's most popular. They actually named it most popular. Yeah. Not favorite. But it doesn't popular. help. <laughs> no, it doesn't, right? It feels like a people's choice award. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the movie of the people, the common man, if you will. It's almost belittling to me. Mm. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just me being. Um, but I just feel like if you have like genres, mm. like action adventure, you know, like sci-fi horror, you know, comedy, 
you know, maybe not do all the, like, you know, supporting actor, best actor, like that, like Golden Globes does. Yeah. Because they also do that with with those those categories. They'll do, like, best actor in a comedy slash musical. Like, maybe not do that, but I feel like there's a way to do it where it makes it respectful mm. and valid, you know, because, like, most popular just feels like, a, you know, hey, you... You know, did well in the box office. Yes. You <laughs> Your so, movie sucks. But I mean, that's what well. it sounds like. Especially, it sounds like, oh, especially the way that they handled the Oscars already. It's kind of like, oh, here's a viewing party and all this stuff for yeah. these people to come see it. It just seems like, oh, here's an opportunity to have these blockbusters do that same type of routine exactly. for them. Where you have the viewing parties. They have the marathons now in the theaters, mm. too, where they, you know, do the big, like, you know, here's all the nominees. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It feels a little cheap to me. That's just me. <laughs> so, but like I said, I'll be fucking excited to see, you know, like maybe Avengers, you know, get some, you know, credit, I guess, you know, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If it just helps. See, like, I do enjoy, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy the Oscars. What we'll do is like after, you know, a film wins or something, I'll go and check it out or you know, mm. I'll look at the list of nominees and I'll go check out those films. But there are times where it's like, really, Logan didn't get anything. You know, and I mean, across the board, critics love that movie, so it just feels like... Exactly. I've, I've taken a little bit more, like, um, what's the expression I'm trying to think of? Solace. Like, a grain of salt with their um, with their reviews of things. Like, I, I don't I don't look at the Oscars as the be-all, end-all, as I used to. Yeah. Because I, I see so many good films not getting any recognition, or at least the recognition that they deserve. And I think, too, what's happening now is, like, anyone can be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. you know with the way like independents are done now there's so much medium out there that you know there's so many good films that it's hard you mm-hmm. know with these award shows to really get like everything represented the way they should be so i mean there's just so much content now yeah um yeah so i i feel like they've kind of you know gotten themselves into a corner but you know I, i'm guessing what ended up happening was like ratings were down or something like okay we gotta fucking pull some people in some you know normal everyday fans in. i can't what have have you been watching them yearly i don't think i've watched them the last few i years. watch highlights if, if mm. someone who's nominated that i really you know i'm behind and want to see win i'll watch but usually it's just for that like i'll wait till their category pops up you know and then i totally tune out it's like it's literally i mean you want to talk about like a wrestling pay-per-view Long. I mean, it's like a good five-hour mm. show with like commercials and shit like that. So, you know, I barely have patience for fucking WrestleMania at this point. So I can't handle, mm. you know, sitting through all that. And then like lots of times the categories that we care about too, like you know, like you know, effects stuff like that. They're on the pre-show. They don't even do, or they do a night beforehand. Yeah, and so. then they do that little announcement. Or yeah, like right before commercial break, which almost feels like belittling also. Yes. So, but. I mean, not to not to down them. I do. No, I wouldn't mind winning one. No, no, not <laughs> down the people who are working in them. But you know, I don't know. Fuck you, Oscars. I mean, they deserve airtime too. So, but I mean, once again, I understand the show would be eight hours long. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll televise it then. Make it more of a private event for. Well, they do. Filmmakers. They actually do. They do do. Oh, you're talking about the Oscars? Yes. It's all about money, man. They're I know. Gonna... <laughs> I see what you're saying, but yeah. Um, but yeah, fuck the Oscars. <laughs> I don't know why we're talking about the Oscars. <laughs> Something we do care about. There's been a lot of Star Wars news. Yes. Now, full disclosure, 
Last week, we kind of had a bit of a clip show, kind of like the best films of 2018 yes. so far. The reason for that is we had some technical issues. We recorded a whole episode, probably close to three hours, mm-hmm. and we unplugged for a second and it disappeared. Yes. So Into the ether. So these are things that we've kind of talked about. <laughs> This might seem like old news, stale news, but fuck it, we're going to talk about it We've anyway. got old and new to talk yes, about. Yes, exactly. Right? We have some new stuff. Our opinions matter. God damn it. That's right, Christian. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, Star Wars, we had a bunch of announcements recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Fisher is going to be in episode nine. Yes. So they made that announcement. JJ has footage from Force Awakens that he's going to use um, to kind of give that character closure. I don't know what exactly that means. I mean, we'll find out soon enough, but um, he feels like it's a good way to honor that character and make her still part of the story. And we heard that before she died, that Carrie Fisher was going to be a huge part of episode nine. So that's why it was such a huge deal. Um, not not only that, that she passed Ooh. away, but <laughs> that, you know, for the, the trilogy took a big hit because, you know, a lot of what was going to happen in nine kind of revolved around Carrie Fisher. Um, so they had to scramble and do a lot of rewriting, not only in The Last Jedi, but in Episode Nine. So I'm not sure. Like, how do you feel about this? I just, I don't know what the footage that they'll be using will be like, you know? It feels weird, mm-hmm. right? It's that, stuff that they didn't even consider to feature in the DVD, so it's just kind of like, what, where are they? With how good could footage? the footage possibly mm-hmm. be? And how will they splice that together with completely different scenery, completely different, you know, kind of cast direction? Is it going to feel shoehorned in? Yes. You know? Uh, And the fact that they didn't have anything that they they wanted to use from Last Jedi, and I don't know, maybe like, you know, Rain Johnson didn't want, you know, anything used or just didn't have anything, but it's weird that they went back to Force Awakens. Mm. And I know that was J.J.'s film, so... You know, whatever, and he maybe had something in mind right away, like, "Oh, I could totally use that if I wanted to get." I don't recall, but were there like scenes that were like between her and her real life daughter that were filmed during? Uh, I'm not seven? sure. I don't. I don't recall. Mm-hmm. I know, like, she was just kind. of, Her daughter's just kind of in the background. Yes. She had a little more, you know, to do in the last episode, but you know, she's just kind of a side character mm-hmm. in Force. So, um. You know, as long it, it sounds like it's significant, and maybe it's just the way that the press, you know, release was worded, but mm-hmm. it feels like it's going to be a significant role to me. Like it's not just going to be kind of a you know, you know, moment. So I I always just foresee like it opening up like in the future, and just like you know, she's already passed, or maybe mm-hmm. like it starts off in her funeral, um, you know, something like that, where they can kind of honor that character still. Um, but, you know, kind of close the door also on that story. So it's nice that they can do it in a way where the character can be on screen and they can honor her still and, you know, maybe bring her, you know, character to you know, give her some closure. Now, do you feel that this ruins your time jump theory? Um, a little bit. I mean, they, you could still have a time jump, you mm-hmm. know, it's still, it, not too much, I guess, because you could still have it happen, you know three or four years later and, you know, the resistance be a bigger force and everything and have them put together. But, you know, one of the reasons I was kind of thinking about the time jump was because of Princess Leia and what happened 
Exactly. We both have that same problem. We'll start with the funeral scene. So. But probably the main reason, too, though, behind the whole time jump theory is because of how small the resistance is. Mm. So I feel like to make, you know, because this movie is going to be the last, obviously, in the trilogy, so they need to close out the story, I would think. Um, so I feel like the resistance needs to be a bigger force, you know. Um, so I don't see that happening overnight. It feels like something mm. where you're going to have, like, Poe in more of an established, like, leadership role, along with, like, Ray and Finn. Like, they're going to be kind of the new, you know, core of the Resistance. Um, so I could see it, you know, being, like, three or four years in the future. And they just opening up, like, every Star Wars movie does in a big battle and shit, and seeing all these characters in their new roles. But, I mean, I, you know, part of me, like, wants them to kind of move on, you know, just from, like, the original trilogy, but it's also nice that they can kind of too. Depending on what it is. Yeah, if it sucks, then <laughs> fuck them for ruining my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so we also heard that uh, we found out Mark Hamill is going to be in the movie yeah, also, which I think we kind of all speculated mm. and guessed. You know, I'm assuming it's going to be a Force ghost. Yes, it's got to have some form of smart-ass remarks for Ray, you know, someone yeah. to play off of. Something, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there'll be some, like, dire time where, you know, Luke, you know, reveals himself mm. to her and, you know, guides her. Um, so, that's cool, though. I'm glad that he's part of it. So, um, Well, there was also the thoughts of um, Thrawn being another villain added. That's right, because uh, Richard E. Grant was added to the cast because mm. they actually released the whole uh, cast list, it would seem like. Um, so Richard E. Grant is going to be part of the cast and people start speculating. There's rumors swirling that he's going to be Thrawn. And I don't know if that's really just wishful thinking or that's something being leaked. Mm. Um, I'm all aboard for Thrawn being part of it. Um I feel like it gives kind of like that authority like figure, you know, mm. that I feel like the First Order needs right now. Yes. Um, kind of in between maybe, you know, Ren and, or not Ren, uh, oh yeah, Ren. Yes. Um, and, um, uh, what's his name? Hux. Hux. There we go. I said Lux. Um, <laughs> Hux. So you kind of have an in-between point, mm. you know, balance it out a little. And Thrawn's just an awesome character. Yes. And just beloved. We do have to be careful because a lot of people were speculating that Brian Mendelsohn's character was going to be thrown back for uh, Rogue, Rogue One. Oh, really? Yes, that was a huge speculation. When that that would have been awesome, out. too. Mm-hmm. But not that I didn't enjoy the shit out of his character. <laughs> so, uh, but it'd be great. We know, like, uh, as of Rebels, we don't know where Thrawn is mm-hmm. right now. Um, you know, it, they kind of left it open. So I kind of figured it was going to be explored in, you know, the newest, you know, uh, cartoons, but maybe they hold back. I mean, they've shown that they're not scared to deep dive into that, like, Legends canon now and bring out, you know, the greatest hits. So we had Maul make an appearance in Solo. Um, We had, um, oh, God, what's Forrest... uh, Forrest Whitaker's uh, character in in Rogue One show, show up. I don't remember. It was a weird name. But anyway, he was part of he was part of Clone Wars, yes. so um, they're not scared to you know use what they have, which is which is awesome for us fans. So and Thrawn is one of my favorite. You know, mm. He would definitely be a great villain role to yes. have, uh, just since I just don't feel Kylo Ren as a menacing villain right now, mm. and Hux is not a menace. So you don't see him as menacing. Like I feel yes. like he's menacing, but do you, like just like in that role of almost like the Emperor. You know, like as he doesn't. Lead. For me, when when Vader walks in a room, you get oh shit, it's Vader. 
Mm. When Kylo Ren walks in the room, you don't. He's unpredictable. You don't know where where he's. So that's what I was gonna say. Sense. Like I'm more scared because he's so fucking off the rails, unpredictable, and just unhinged at times. I don't know. I feel there's there's definitely this more a possibility of him switching sides than there is for him to be the main villain, going kind of for full yes. circle, which happens a lot with the Skywalkers, as we know. Mm. So that would make sense. I could see that happening if you have Thrawn there. Then you can have them kind of, you know, their own little, like him and Hux, like yes. for having a coup, if you will, um, and overthrowing him, um, and maybe him coming to his senses. So, um, and maybe that's that moment that, you know, like why they're using Leia's character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe she's a big part of that. Pure speculation. <laughs> so, he, he did refuse to kill her. In, um, he did. He did. And that was a so. huge moment, um, an awesome moment. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't know, man. I'm fucking excited as always, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Yes, I mean, but that's not all for Star Wars. No, Speaking no. Speaking of going uh, back to the well. We got tons of rumors coming out mm. of the TV show camp. Uh, John Favreau's uh, show is in pre-production right now, but there's been a lot of little leaks, we think. Um, <laughs> these could just all be rumors once mm. again, but um, we're hearing a lot about... Jesus Christ, I can't believe I'm going to read this. That it's going to be $100 million per episode. It's going to be a 10-episode season. Um, they were saying that it was like Game of Thrones-like. I did not realize Game of Thrones was that yes. much money per episode. Insane. I mean, they're basically shooting a movie mm. every every single episode. Yes. And they're putting out, like, those like those dragons come out really well done. Every All the special effects look really well, especially for a TV show. And I'm sure that's something that they've escalated mm-hmm. to, you know, the last couple seasons especially. It felt epic. You know, the battle scenes and everything. So, I'm sure... I mean, if it gets that kind there. of treatment, I'm happy. No, absolutely I am. And, I mean, once again, it's Disney money, so mm-hmm. they can do it. I mean, we see what fucking Amazon's paying for shit right now. Um, the Lord of the Rings... They're, they paid like something like almost like a billion dollars to like do a series for Lord of the Rings. And I mean, Amazon has all the money too. They might actually have more money than Disney does. Um, so, I mean, and they know that they're going to make their money back. Mm. So they're not just throwing money out. So I know, I know. Interesting enough, but Netflix makes more money than Disney. Right yes, that's what I heard. I think it's insane. Yes, yes. Um, the, uh, the owner, the president or CEO, I don't know what his official title is of Amazon is I think literally the richest man in modern day history mm. right now. Like <laughs> that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like he dwarfs like Bill Gates and like mm-hmm. they put like the biggest like, you know, billionaires up there. Like they you could add them all together and they wouldn't have what his net worth is. So um and we know that it can all change overnight oh, yeah. with the stocks, but I mean that's crazy to think. So I mean Hearing that, knowing that they paid a billion dollars for you know Lord of the Rings, I guess makes sense because mm-hmm. they can afford that. So, but like I said, Disney's not shortchanged no. at all. They're <laughs> they're going to invest money in this. They want it to be good, and they know that they have you know mm-hmm. a high bar to reach with Star Wars. I mean, besides Solo, they usually have a good like track return. So yeah, 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 they do. So, and I feel like Solo's eventually going to make their money back. I know they basically yeah. filmed two films back-to-back, but, you know, I mean, fans are fans. They'll they'll, they'll get their money yeah. from us eventually. So I, I know I'm going to buy the Blu-ray. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, but $100 million per episode, mm-hmm. it's supposed to take place three years after Return of the Jedi. 
Now, is that within the same parameters as the Resistance television show? What What do you mean? Like, the animated show is supposed to be after Return, correct? No, the animated show is supposed to be right before the new trilogy. So it's going to be after Return, but it's going to be, like, multiple. More like, that's, like, 25 years or something. Because I think it's 30 years. Mm. So this is supposed to be, like, I think it's supposed to be a couple of years before Force Awakens. Mm. So this is much closer to, you know, the original trilogy. Um, but it's supposed to also center around Mandalore. So I'm guessing that's going to focus just on that planet and maybe you get, you know, some, you know, uh, integration of the, you know, outside galaxy and those characters, mm. but it's really Mandalore sounds like it's going to be the center. And it's going to, they said that it's going to be Mandalore dealing with the fallout of, you know, the empire kind of, you know, um, disappearing. So, you know, I, I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting. I get excited with Mandalore, mm. but um, Rebels did so much with Mandalore, um, and they say that it's canon. So I'm wondering mm. how far they go. Like we've met a lot of different characters from Mandalore right now through Rebels. So I'm wondering if they're going to use a lot of those characters, like Sabine. Her family was like I think like one of the Patrolman families. Um, and we know that Sabine is still around during Return. So I don't know exactly, you know, I, I would think that they would use that character. Mm-hmm. It makes well, I, I don't see her as a main character. No. If anything, they'd probably want to start with a fresh family. I would think, but, you know, maybe have her, you know, make sporadic appearances mm-hmm. and then, like, dive into her. But her family is, like, one of, like... I believe one of the ruling families mm-hmm. of Mandalore. So I don't know how you don't use her lineage at least. And then she also, her betrayal really like screwed up the planet. Like what they see as betrayal. She kind of left them. She was like one of the big, bigger like weapons creators or something of the sort. Um, but they saw her like leaving them. I don't know if it was like during the war or something like that is a huge betrayal so a lot of rebels is like her redemption in the eyes of like her family and the planet so um but rebels is good shit <laughs> check it out i'm not doing it any justice uh, but it's it's really good shit it would be interesting i feel like they would probably just have like you see like sprite paint in the background out of nowhere and it's like kind of a slow reintroduction. well at where you end i don't want to spoil anything like she's a big part of mandalore again so i don't I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like, it, it almost would feel cheap if they didn't include her. And maybe that's just me being a fan, but she just felt like such a big part of that world that I don't know. And maybe they, maybe we open it up and it's three years after, so maybe she did die. Maybe, you know, something happened where, you know, they can work around it. I don't see why you wouldn't use that character. But by the end of Rebels, is the Darksaber still around? Yes, I believe so. It's not I been damaged or broken or anything. No, not that I not that I know of. But she's she's trained with it and everything. I think she passes it on to someone else though. So I have to revisit it. Um, but it, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's she's just so part, so much like a mm-hmm. big role in that you know whole world. I don't, I don't know. It would be disappointing to me if she wasn't part of the show somehow. If it is uh, even about this, is all speculation. Mm-hmm. It could have nothing to do with Mandalore. <laughs> It could just be about the Ewoks, like home planet or something like that. God forbid. Um, you I know, don't need a or what? Like, what's Jar Jar's uh, 
Um, <laughs> Naboo. Naboo. Back to oh Naboo. my god. Back to Naboo. Oh, I already cool. see the show having politics in it. Let's not be on Naboo. <laughs> you know? Yes, I feel like there's going to be, like, I feel like it's going to be kind of Game of Thrones. Like mm. Maybe you have warring families or something like that. Because there are different tribes in Mandalore. Yes. So, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> and it, that's going to be on Disney streaming, and there is no timeline whatsoever, like for a release on that. It just we know that it's in pre-production, mm. so we'll be speculating for a while. For so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more show news that doesn't have to do with uh, Star Wars. What? Uh, we have Batwoman is coming to the uh, silver screen. Is the word I think? Not to. the silver screen. The oh, small screen. Small screen. It's going to be CW. It's going to be part of the Arrowverse. Ah. So, um, Ruby Rose, um, who's done some roles. I'm not really that familiar with her. She's I... been in Fast and Furious. Uh, John Wick. John Wick. Uh, she was in Triple um, X, Zan- like Xander Cruz's Return. I definitely Return. Don't know her then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen photos of her. I know she's a model, mm. too. I know she was like a VJ at a time. She's Australian, I believe. Um, but she is going to be playing that woman, uh, Kate Kane. So, um, this is huge news for two reasons. One, it's awesome that the Arrowverse is going to be playing around with like Gotham because mm-hmm. you're going to get the Gotham universe now, and it kind of opens up the door to like some of those Gotham characters without using Batman mm-hmm. um, because it feels like they have like a no touch rule with Batman. Um, they've mentioned him apparently, but they don't ever really you know dive into the whole Batman world. Like I know like Ra's al Ghul's been mm-hmm. on Arrow. Um, but this will kind of give them a bigger like playground to play with, um, Gotham wise. So, but then also she'll be really like the first like openly gay like superhero character to like be featured mm-hmm. in a show. So it's a big deal, you know. Representation is huge, so it's awesome to have you know a character like that out there. I mean, it's it's a little late, but you know I'm glad that finally mm. we're at a place as a society hopefully, <laughs> some of us are at least, mm. where you know we're finally getting shows that are featuring characters like this so, um, but yeah I mean, and then also what's cool about it too is the actresses is actually mm. openly gay too, so you know, you're getting, you know you know, roles out to, you know, people who deserve it, diverse communities Yes, but at the same time, I haven't seen her do anything serious. <laughs> yes, she could be horrible as an actress, that, that's for sure. But I feel like I trust the Arrowverse because I feel like they do well, like a good enough job like with the characters yeah. and stuff like that. Like I haven't heard like of any of those shows really just like flopping. Mm. They all have a good following. It seems so. like they stick pretty close to like a campier side of the comic book version. Okay. Yeah, was Arrow, did Arrow, because you watched some of Arrow. I watched the beginning first, I think, three or four seasons. Because Arrow and... seems pretty dark, but when you say campy, do you feel like it's like just kind of the effects? It's, like what? It's when Flash started showing up, and they really started playing around with the idea of metahumans and all these beings with abilities. Then it became very cartoonish. It was more on the fun side. Uh, when Arrow starts, it's definitely like, he kills it's people. Pretty he's dark, He's right? dark as hell. And um, eventually, he like you know he learn he learns not to kill people. He gets better at handling yeah, scenarios and stuff. And then they start dealing with more powered beings, and it gets it gets a little bit more cartoony as the show goes. And on. And they do like it feels like they try to honor mm-hmm. you know like the comic book canon a lot, like just like with like the costumes and everything. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I could definitely, like, I know, I, I forgot the one show they had, and I think it's still on, where it was, like, kind of like a timeline joke. I can't remember the name of it. I'm not going to bother Googling it right now. <laughs> Um, I would so, say the Arrowverse feels more fun, whereas the Netflix shows for Marvel feel more like they're dark grounded and gritty. and gritty and stuff like that. Now, would you... So, the fact that it's part of the Arrowverse, does that concern you? For me, that that's a big, like, that takes away from a it a lot. Yeah. Because I, I stopped because of those very reasons. It felt so cartoony, especially when you started getting Supergirl and mm-hmm. the DC um, and hero... Supergirl Legends. originally wasn't part of the Belanti universe is as far like no. she wasn't originally part of like that universe mm-hmm. and then they like somehow kind of integrated and they kind of yeah. did like a crisis like situation which is pretty cool um because she was originally on like ABC or something yeah. like that um and then the show got canceled I believe and they moved her over to the CW so it's cool that they were able to save the property because that also had fans mm-hmm. um I, I think I'm the exact opposite like I had like Arrow looks like shit to me. <laughs> and listen, I watched Smallville. So, like, I dealt with a lot of campy bullshit. And I watched, like, all, like, 20 seasons of that fucking mm. thing. Um, so I was okay with it. It just, I did, it felt more of the same to me. Mm. So I kind of stayed away. Um, but, like, hearing, like, how, like, rabid, like, the fans of, like, Flash, like, are, like, I, it makes me want to, like, you know, catch up with that series. So I guess maybe I'm a little more okay with her being part of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm okay with the yeah. character being used. I'm okay with but everything about that. I would also like just... to see her have her own like DC, exactly. you know, like streaming service show mm-hmm. where they could be a little darker and you know, almost like a Netflix kind of thing. You know, I I, I agree with that. Especially, like, I want to see that done in a very cinematic way. Like I'm thinking more Daredevil rather than I'm thinking mm-hmm. Arrow. Yeah, that's just how I like see the Marvel it. Netflix shows. Exactly. So maybe Marvel should just buy. <laughs> and then they could do it right. She would work. <laughs> she would work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm still excited, but I, I get what you're saying. Um, we see. I have my reservations. I believe Titans is actually technically like the Blanty universe too, and we see what like dark and gritty looks like in the Blanty universe um, with Titans. Is that so, technically part of? I, I'm not sure. I know it's his property. I know like he's the producer or the showrunner behind. I'm not sure how that works, but I, you know, and like it, we're judging it from one trailer and maybe it's like the best show ever <laughs> and we'll be raving about it next year. Oh, they're definitely probably making changes. After you think so? Reaction. Yeah, there was a bad backlash. Yes. Huge backlash. Or maybe they know what they have is good and they fired the person who cut the trailer. Who knows? <laughs> but it did look bad. So, um, but yeah, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I, I like I said, it's, it's awesome that they're willing to try a show like this. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, superheroes are just, you know, they're known as properties that make money, but studios are willing to invest in them now. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting, like, grade C characters like Batwoman, who's an interesting character mm-hmm. and deserves, you know, this forum. Um, they actually get greenlit for series now. and Like, that wouldn't happen, no. fucking, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So, I mean, it's an awesome world that we live in as fans, you know. Um, but, yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember when there was no fucking, you know, <laughs> series at all. Like, we had Lois and Clark, mm. and that was it. <laughs> you know, we barely even had, like, I remember when there was no cartoons. Like, we had, like, Super Friends, like, old episodes of Super Friends to really watch. 
it was a big deal in the mid '90s when you know we got Spider Man and you know and X Men and mm-hmm. huge deal, man. Um, I was in high school and I was like waking up Saturday mornings like I was six years old just to watch <laughs> those shows. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I like I said, I'm usually in the bag for half this shit when it comes out you know, <laughs> until I watch it, you know. Um, I'll I'll wait for a trailer before I really give it a full judgment, you know. Yeah, and and you know, and I, I'm also hoping that they know like how big of this, like how big of a deal this character is to a lot of people, so that they're going to invest mm. a lot. Like they have like the right script and the right look for everything, um, because I mean this character does mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, so I don't know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what DC has on their steps. <laughs> I guess they're not, they don't have the best batting average in the world right now. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm a sucker for this, but I am. Uh, we also had a new movie trailer come out in the last two weeks uh, because I think we talked about it last week. We did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, new Venom trailer. Uh, I think that came out of Comic Con. It was the one that they showed, but it was a little bit altered for mm-hmm. the um, web release. So positives. I think the effects look great. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty excited. Um, I, I feel it looks a lot more polished. Yes. I mean, you you said with the first trailer. I mean, this is obviously kind of a rough draft with effects. You know, my argument is like, why the hell would you even release this? If <laughs> it doesn't look good, but they did apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like it looks a lot. I know cleaner. Um, you're getting a better idea of like how the symbiote is going to work. Um, you know, so I, it looked like an exciting movie, like a good movie, mm-hmm. you know, fact wise. Um, and this is definitely an effect, you know, movie. Like yeah, this is if, if the facts it's don't work in this movie, candy. the movie doesn't <laughs> work. I mean, not to belittle the story, but yes, it's definitely eye candy. Um, that being said, I can't understand anything he's fucking saying. Yeah, you're getting a whole Bane situation here. Yeah, I don't understand what the deal is with Tom Hardy. But it's, it, what's weird is it's even his, like, uh, As Eddie Brock. Rock. Yeah. And, like, it's in the trailer. You would think that, like, <laughs> I don't know. And at first I was like, is it just me? But then I've seen all the same complaints, you know, on the internet. So mm-hmm. it's not just me. Like, I can't understand. Like, his voice sounds cool as Venom. I like the voice. And I like that it's actually Tom Hardy doing the voice. But it's so low that it's hard to understand. Mm-hmm. And then his accent is just sounds ridiculous to me. <laughs> As Eddie Rock. Um, it's just too over the top. And I once again, I can't understand him. I had to watch the last scene multiple times before I could figure out what he was saying. The whole scene in the liquor store. Mm, I think I even told you the line. Yes, yes. I still <laughs> didn't understand everything. So um, to me, that's a problem. You know, um, I loved his performances as Bane, but, like, I watched that Blu-ray with subtitles on it, because I couldn't pick everything up in the theater, you know? Um, great performance, but I don't know. It sounds like he's got a mouthful of marbles. It really does. I don't understand why that's, like, a character choice with him. And I don't know, maybe it'll sound better with surround sound speakers I around you, I hope but... so. <laughs> I guess Mad Max, you can understand him, right? Yes. Even though he's wearing that fucking mask But he only says fucking... Yeah, like, he barely three speaks. Lines. Yeah. He just really gets off on that shit, I guess. Um, <laughs> he can talk. It's not his fault. No. I've, he's had he's been in TV shows. I've listened to him talk. But it has to be a character choice. Like some, like some, Do you think no one's telling him, hey, we can't understand what the fuck you're saying? <sighs> I, I don't even like that he had to do an accent for this film either. But, I mean... I get accent, that he's supposed to be a New Yorker. Yeah, and I, but, the accent makes sense, but it's just too much almost. 
You know, like pull back a mm. little. Um, I think Eddie Rex from Brooklyn, so it's like a thick, like Brooklyn accent, and it's just I don't know. It sounds cartoonish to me almost. You know, and that sounds ridiculous. It's a Venom movie, mm-hmm. but it's like too over the top for it. Um, but besides that, I mean, like I said, I love the way the suit looks. Um, I like how he seems to like transition into the character because that was a big issue with the first trailer. I didn't like how like that one scene where you actually see the suit. I didn't like how it kind of like engulfed his mm-hmm. head. Um, they cleaned that up a little. Um, I don't know. I, I I also oh you know what else was an issue with this? I felt like they showed you too much of the movie. If you pay attention to that final mm-hmm. scene of the trailer, one of the final scenes of the trailer, you can see who like the big boss is. You know, and you can kind of track exactly what's yeah. going to happen in the movie. I mean, it wasn't egregious like just um, like Batman vs Superman. No, no, but yeah. it's just a little too much, you mm-hmm. know. And nowadays, with like what Disney's been doing with the Star Wars films and you know the MCU films, where you're getting a trailer and you're seeing like multiple trailers, but mm-hmm. you're only getting so much. They're only showing you so many plot points. Um, and where you're actually getting to be surprised, you know, in the theater about mm-hmm. things that happen. Like, or they're I knew, altering things. Yes, well. they're altering things. Like, that happened. Um, that even happened with, like, Deadpool. Like, they, like, changed, like, did, they shot multiple jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel like it just felt lazy, you know. And that I, I, the trailer people are different than the, like, the director doesn't, like, cut the trailer, which I find weird. Um, they actually have people who yes, cut the they trailers. send it out to another company. Yes, which I just, I wish they'd stop. Because <laughs> Sony especially, I feel like this was an issue with the Amazing Spider-Man mm. movies. Um, like, I felt like you knew exactly what was going to happen in that trailer, um, in that movie, right off the bat. So, um, I don't know. I feel like they showed Gwen falling. Uh, yes, the yes, they did. Yes, and if you know anything about Spider-Man's history, you know mm. exactly what they're doing in that. So, I don't know. It. I don't know. I've got higher hopes <laughs> after this trailer. I should hey, say. Hey, what if what if it's a big twist and they took out that guy and it's actually uh, Woody Harrelson there mm-hmm. instead? They just added him in. I doubt it. I highly. Doubt I also it. my issue too is like it seems like he's going to be battling a lot of symbiotes. You know. So, I, I kind of predicted that. I feel like it's almost like they're going like Maximum Carnage, mm-hmm. um, that whole storyline. And I I don't know, man. Like, it makes, it almost feels like it cheapens Venom. Like, it makes him feel less special, like his power suit and everything. If you see multiple characters with that power You could suit. say that, but you could also say, oh, he's, it's like a Godzilla situation where he's the king of symbiotes. And he's dominating over all the other ones. I guess, but those monsters, it's not like Godzilla's just fighting an army of Godzillas. He's fighting different monsters, like Mothra's. Well, I'm hoping that they will, to some degree, alter their characteristics. Yeah, and just what we saw, but just what we saw. Like, they need to give them all, like, in Maximum Carnage, the comic book, the, all the characters with the symbiotes, they look different. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they're different colors, they're different versions. From what we saw, like at least who he's fighting and what seems to be the end of the movie in the trailer, um, looks like just a darker gray version of Venom. It looked light gray to me, okay. which gave me like anti-Venom feelings, but I doubt it. No, yeah, I don't yeah. think they'll go that route. That's just they'll crazy. save him. Yeah, <laughs> for the third. Film. Well, and that's Eddie Brock, so I don't know how the hell you're gonna. <laughs> 
but I, I, maybe. Um, you know, I, I definitely it, with everything what we've seen from the trailer, it makes sense why like you know, Cletus is going to be a huge part of you know this second the sequel of this mm-hmm. as well. Um, it sounds like there it's definitely like it, Woody Harrelson's going to have a small part in this movie from everything that he said, mm-hmm. but um, have a bigger role in the second. But then once again, like, do I want to see more like? him up against symbioids. Like, yes. you know, like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, do I like the idea that, of kind of what they did, like, Lethal Protector, um, where, like, he was fighting, like, you know, this, like, you know, crime syndicate, and it was, it was a cool storyline, you know? Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like he would just slaughter them all, mm-hmm. but it just kind of went to a whole, like, Lethal Protector thing, so, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, so. But we'll see, maybe it's, you know, <laughs> I doubt it, but remember Infinity War. Now, how are you, you're feeling? You're feeling good about this, right? I'm. I'm feeling that it's going to be a fun movie, and I'm going. I'm going in with low expectations. Okay. I don't have <laughs> I'm going to go into it just pretty much the same as I went in for Solo, where I feel I'm going to come out happy that what I, with what I got, but not like because I went into Solo with high expectations mm-hmm. and I was disappointed. But you were with Solo. You were. Because we had such low expectations, I guess I should just set myself up to like fail. With all these <laughs> movies to suck, and then I'll enjoy. Them. I don't have hopes for Sony right now. I yeah. see they have two big ideas of making their own Spider-Man world work, and then also kind of having Marvel pay them to continue to like, use Spider-Man, use Spider-Man, yeah. everything. They want this all to be like a big profit for them, and they're just like. The problem is, is they're not. This is the same people that made Fantastic Four. Yes. Remember. Yes. And made the Amazing Spider-Man movies, which just didn't work. Yes. And it felt like a cash grab right off the bat. Especially, I think, in the sequel, the end, like, the Easter egg was, like, setting up a Sinister Six movie. Yes. And it feels like that's what they would still want to do. Oh, they still want to do that. And it just, it, if you're going to do that movie, you have to have Spider-Man. And, like, that's one of my biggest issues with the whole Venom thing, which we've talked about before, is just having Venom exist without Spider-Man being part of his mm-hmm. origin just doesn't work for me because he's such a huge part of his origin and like for venom to get where he's at in this movie which it seems like it's going to be the lethal protector storyline um that story is all about redemption for everything that he's you know done in his past as venom you know stalking peter parker um so i just i don't know I don't know. Eddie Brock is such an unlikable character. <laughs> I just don't see how they get. This isn't to going see. to be that Eddie Brock. It's I not. guess. I just don't know why you're telling the story then. Like, I mean, it, it sounds like they, they once. No, I agree. <laughs> but it sounds like very much like what you're seeing in the plot and the synopsis for everything. It is that Eddie Brock. It just doesn't have Peter Parker. He is a reporter. Mm-hmm. He is kind of sleazy. But you don't have the whole obsession with Spider-Man angle going on. You know, it seems like they're just skipping past that. Which feels so weird since they have Spider-Man. So, I don't know. I don't know. I think You're they, going to walk out of this film disappointed, I feel. I'm going to walk into this film disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to walk out like, oh, that was fun. Mm. I just have to, you know, I think because that character was one of my favorite villains as a kid. It's just going to be hard for me to, like, you know, yeah. look past some things. And usually with comic book movies, I'm good with that, where I forgive a lot. Because I know you can't put the whole story out there on the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about multi-issue runs, you know. Um, you know, huge arcs. 
and you're trying to kind of cram it into like a two hour yes, movie. But you want to see it be played around with in the same manner that Iron Man was played around yes, with. Yes, exactly. Not where you can just... at least honor the origin and, you know, because the whole reason for that character existing mm. was, you know, Spider-Man. So to the point where, like, he doesn't even have the spider on his suit. Yeah. Um, which I, I could s- forgive, but I just, I don't know. And I still, like, maybe after the Homecoming trilogy, I still want to see Tom Holland play a dark Spider-Man character with having to deal with the Venom symbiote and everything. Yes, and that's such a great storyline, and this kind of, like, ruins that, you know? Mm. I mean, I know that, you know, they shit on that with Spider-Man 3. (laughs) Um, You know, we got that horrible emo Peter Parker dancing around in a cafe. Um, That was not that story. That's not the story I read. (laughs) It's a pissed-off Sam Raimi. Oh, my God, yeah, because he was kind of forced, Mm. like, to do that character, and he didn't want to. Because I remember that, like, he had no interest, I believe, like, they were talking to him before Spider-Man 2 came out, and people were speculating, oh, who are you going to do in 3? And they brought up Venom, and he just, like, kind of, like, I don't have any interest, I don't have a story for Venom. And then, lo and behold, after Spider-Man 2's mm. success, hey, we're doing Venom. So, um, yeah, so there was definitely a situation with the studio. Yes, there was a studio argument. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And, like I said, if, if the movie's well done, I'm willing to forgive. You know, like, people, if you give me a good enough movie and it's exciting and, you know, it checks all those boxes, hey, man, it's cool. You know, it, I mean, it's not the way I would have gone, but I can, if it's well done, it's well done. It's a well-crafted piece of art, great, but I just, I don't trust Sony. I don't trust Sony. No, everything not without that... Kevin Foggy overseeing it, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> but um, with everything that they've shown us in the trailer, it's shown violence like, fully, rather than, like, you know, being like blood will come out mm. rather than it being PG thirteen. Do you think that they'll stick with the R, or do you think they're going to edit that back and go back to it? Have they announced an actual rating for this? I don't believe so. I don't. I would hope that they would be smart enough to make it an R movie, because um, I think this we've seen with Deadpool that R movies sell. You know, that there is a market for our movies out there, and I think it would make tons of money. Mm -hmm. Um, A watered-down Venom, I don't know. Like, especially a watered-down Carnage, I don't know, works. Um, So, I I don't know. I I believe it's being directed as a rated art film, but at any time that studio can come in and be like, PG-13 no, make us more money. Yes, yes. We will just cut out all the But blood. nowadays, I mean, maybe with, like, you know, the Marvel Netflix series, mm. Deadpool, Logan, that they've seen that, hey, there is a market out there for R-rated films, and it's not like the kids can't go see the fucking movie anyway, no one yeah. stops them. <laughs> it just really changes, like, who they can advertise for with, like, on TV and stuff like that. But nowadays with the internet, I mean, shit, they can post shit mm. left and right. It's all about, you know, people just go to YouTube and they exactly. want to see a trailer. So, um, I think they're kind of getting past that, hopefully. So, I, I hope it's R. I really do. Um, but once again, that's just eye candy, you know? It mm. kind of sacrifices it's, the story. As long as it's not like a situation where it's like, um, Valyrian, the, did you ever see that film? No. Uh, it's literally all eye candy, and the plot is just garbage. That's what my like, fear is, out that it's going to be like, you know, really no character development, no plot, and mm. it's just going to be, you know, eye candy. And trust me, that character is very much eye candy, but there is a good story there at its mm. core. So, 
Anything that's iconic can still be done in a exactly, enjoyable way. Exactly. There's a way to do it. And I mean, My complaints this is, with you, DC. This is a very like <laughs> 90s character where it's very much eye candy, but I mean, there was a great story involved there, you know, that you had it kind of wrapped around. So just the fact that they're fucking with that kind of, you know, disappoints me. But I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. Well, it's time to get into the comics. So, diving into our pull list for this week, um, the comics that we've started reading were Infinity War Prime and Infinity War 1. That's right. We're going to be covering some of the books mm-hmm. that we covered last week on the Lost episode, yes. <laughs> just for continuity-wise. Um, that makes sense. So, yes, we are going to talk Prime. Uh, let me go ahead and read the blurb here. Trust us, Marvel fans, before the Infinity War begins to rage comes the shocking chapter of the cosmic saga that you will not want to miss. The ramifications of this issue will be felt throughout Infinity for years to come. We can say no more. So in a nutshell, and we're going to do this in a <laughs> nutshell for time's sake, we get introduced to Requiem. Um, and her first scene, really, um, besides those little shots that we got in you know, Countdown, was killing Thanos. She shows up, she fucking stabs him through the heart, and then she chops off his fucking head. So, pretty badass. Um, That's almost the book in a nutshell, too. It's a very short read, but... Yes, yes. Um, We do get a little with Loki. He's visiting some library in Asgard that has, like, the history of, you know, everything, the universe, and he's realizing that there's books missing. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially, like, he feels like there's you know, things with his history that seem off. So him and the librarian, and I don't remember her name, are kind of going on this, like, you know, um, odyssey to figure out exactly what has happened. Something is fucked with, like, you know, the multiverse. Something has changed. So, um, but yeah, this really introduces Requiem and, you know, um, takes Thanos off the board, like, right away. Um, which I found interesting. You know, I think we kind of like speculated last episode where this was going to be like, you know, Thanos is going to end up jumping into the whole, you know, uh, watch, you know, the Infinity Watch and that he was going to be one of the main villains, mm. if not the main villain, because whenever you have, you know, the stones involved, you know, Thanos is there. But um, no, this opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. Yes, which I found refreshing. Mm. So, I mean, so many of these, you know, event books that revolve around Infinity, you know, the Infinity Stones have to do with, like, Thanos mm. and his story. But we're not getting this this, this time, you know, um, which, that's cool. You know, About time. Yes, <laughs> right? So let's go ahead. Let's yes. fast forward. Into the war. And this actually, these books came a week right after yes. each other, which I thought was cool, too. This event goes into, I believe, November or December. Okay. So okay. it's not too long. It's not too long, and it sounds like everything's mapped out mm. really well. So hopefully, knock on, knock on wood, we don't have a lot of those huge delays that yes. a lot of Marvel event books have had in the past. That as I long as it's not a doomsday clock situation, where it's every two months, oh God, I'm fine. Yeah, where it goes into like the summer. <laughs> we're still talking about this book. Um, yeah, because I God knows how long we're gonna be talking about Doomsday Club. Yes. Um, that's well, yeah, I can do the math at least another year. <laughs> we got six issues left, but I love the story. But we'll get there. Um, but yeah, Infinity Wars. Um, this was also refreshing. Do you want to read the yes? Uh, As the Infinity Stones come to Earth, 
So too comes the war for control over them. But none who wield the stones know the truth about the power they contain, or what it would take to bring them to their end. The nature of the universe itself hangs in the balance, as we learn the answer to the question on everyone's lips. Since Infinity War's prime, who is Requiem? Uh, Gary Duggan from Deadpool uh, Infinity Countdown and Mike Dio... Diado? Diada? Diada? Diado? Diada? Okay. Whoever uh, he is, he's a brilliant <laughs> artist. Junior, so. yes. Uh, yeah. Original Sin, Old Man Logan. Um, look into the infinite and bring truth to light. Well, that was a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad that was you and not me. <laughs> um, the art in this is fantastic. Mike, whoever he is, <laughs> Diado, I believe Diada. Um, I I love the art in this book. Um, the story, once again, super refreshing. Um, you get the Infinity Watch meeting, um, kind of where we left off. And spoilers, with the Infinity no. countdown. Yes, spoilers. Uh, everything that we're going to talk about, <laughs> just spoilers. Uh, um, you know that goes for the whole fucking episode. But uh, you get the Infinity Watch meeting. You we. We ended with Countdown and Doctor Strange talking about calling, you know, the watch together mm-hmm. to kind of talk about, you know, exactly how they're going to deal with having possession of these stones. Um, it opens up with this, like, meeting in a park somewhere, and you've got all these characters who just don't feel like they belong on a page uh, together meeting up um, and just kind of discussing exactly what's going to happen. Um, Turk shows up with a whole fucking entourage of villains, even though he was told to come alone. Mm-hmm. And I guess these are all his current henchmen, um, which was pretty fucking awesome to see, because these are characters that you would not think would be part of this book. You've got Bullseye, you've got um, Sandman, you've got the Spot, um, you've got Typhoid Mary. So just like these, like this whole ragtag, mm-hmm. you know... Bunch well, of very like, like underground, yes, of. like Spider Man, Daredevil, Ooh. um, villains, um, showing up around him and kind of like dealing with this side of the universe that you don't really see these characters interact with. Um, I found really cool, but basically, what happens, um, is that they discuss that we need to, well, Strange is really pushing that we need to get these stones off Earth. Um, we're a huge target for Thanos, he's going to show up, we know how this is going to work. Um, it, this is what happens every single time, you know, the, the stones get close together or people come in possession of the stones. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, this back and forth between everyone. Um, you have uh, Adam Warlock, Iron Lad, who's a younger king. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the Guardians show up with a power stone or so they think. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Black Widow's there, but she's hiding, basically. She doesn't want to be exposed. She's a spy. She knows that she's not going to compromise her position. Mm-hmm. So she lets them know that she's there by, like, shooting a card out of Bullseye's hand. Um, and then we also have security happening with the Avengers up above, um, which we find out. So through this whole meeting, you end up finding out that the Guardians don't have the Power Stone. That's a fake. For some reason, this sets off. Turks people, you know, that it's a trap, and then um, a huge battle, you know, unfolds. The Avengers end up coming down. I think it's Iron Man and Thor getting involved. Um, but as this is all happening, Requiem shows up. Um, and she goes ahead, makes her presence known, 
throws fucking Thanos' head down to everyone's surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then proceeds to get revealed who she is, which I was actually really excited about because I thought this was going to be kind of the way that they've been like, you know, advertising the book. It seemed like it was going to be a big mystery. And mm-hmm. we were going to find out who this character was until like, you know, halfway through or something. Well, no, they fucking reveal who she is right away. And it's Gamora. Um, you know, a Gamora who's on the fucking mission yes. and is not going to be stopped. So um, it's a pretty big reveal. Um, you know, right away she uh, gets confronted by Star-Lord, you know, saying what the hell's going on, you know, kind of standing her away. Um, Doctor Strange warns her or warns him that she's got the power stone like laced into her sword. And we saw that with the last issue we didn't talk about that, you know, what that troll was kind of working on for her was like this weapon that has the power stone laced in it somehow. Um, she says, oh, Starlord basically says, you won't kill me. And she says, Peter, nothing ever dies or something. I'm paraphrasing. And then runs him through with a sword. So kills him on the spot. Um, Pretty awesome moment. Um, the art is beautiful in the scene too. Um, it really kind of it feels like almost like an homage to um, Electra getting killed. I found you know like it was, just resembled it a lot. You know the way like she's kind of holding on to Bullseye kills Electra and runs her through with a sigh. Mm-hmm. Um, just the kind of way like his body's dangling. This sounds very morbid that I'm paying <laughs> attention to this. Um, just felt like an homage to that scene. Um, but. I felt like this was a great opening to the book. Um, Loki's also, we, we, you know, basically jump in with Loki. He's on this little, like, quest to figure out what the hell's going on. He runs into these mystic witches who says the infinity is coming to an end. And then all of a sudden you get this, like, Thor Loki, like, who comes through this portal. And he's in the midst of a battle. And so Loki and the librarian witnesses this huge battle um, that this Thor Loki, who seems to have like all the stones mm-hmm. from his universe collected, um, jumps into this battle with this huge beast that kind of looks like the um, creature that we see in the Soul Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, him and his team of Avengers get decimated. So pretty big moment. Um, and it seems like we, well, that was last episode that didn't happen, but <laughs> we kind of talked about the fact yes. that on the docket for all these books, there's these weird mashup books, yes. um, which I felt at the time seemed very gimmicky, and I wasn't a huge fan of these books, especially if they were, you know, didn't really further the storyline, if they're just kind of like there to be there. Um, you know, it just reminded me of something that they did in the 90s when yeah. they did the whole DC Marvel crossover, the first one. Um, but this makes that make more sense. You know, maybe we're seeing, you know, this entity attacking other universes, um, you know, and devouring them. Mm. So, and that we're going to see these different, like, alternate realities um, in these kind of tie-in books. So, that kind of puts my mind at ease a little. But, I mean, overall, I felt like it was a really good first issue. You know, it let me wanting more, and that's really what you want. Yes, first issue exactly. And once again, it was it was different. It was something because I've seen so many of these stories that revolve around the gauntlet and everything, but this felt so different and new and fresh. Um, it's not just a cash grab, which I was really worried about when they announced this book. You know, with the movie coming out and everything, mm-hmm. are you just doing a story to do a story? Uh, but 
they actually feel like they've got a story to tell here. So uh, I'm excited by this. Yes. So. <laughs> Christian didn't read the book. No, I did not. <laughs> That's why he's so quiet. <laughs> I'll definitely be reading it along with issue number two. Yes. I know you will be. I, I just completely missed this one. <laughs> yeah. We will. We had a lot to read yes. this week, including Captain America number two. All right. Do you want to do the blurb for that one? Um, sure. Distrusted uh, by a nation that seems to have lost faith in him. Steve Rogers is a man out of time and out of options. Where can now unsanctioned Captain America turn for aid and assistance in order to stem the rise of, of the cabal of influence brokers known as the power elite? What did he think? I don't feel like this really dealt with the power elite. Much. No, no. But I mean, they have to put that, I guess, in the blurb. He has a villain. No, this was um this was definitely more of an emotion driven issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely still think why the fuck did they not have this come out so much earlier? Yes, because just dealing with Sharon, not not knowing if he can trust if she can trust him, uh, having and the public, the public, you know, he's dealing with all these feelings, all these under like understanding, like the people can't trust me. Yeah, but I'm still gonna go out there and be Captain America. He's not showing up at some like you know carnival that's you know thrown in his honor exactly like they did in the first issue of and they Ryan. seem like they're so forgiving of him and yeah this feels more grounded more you know anchored in the real world mm-hmm. if you will um and it feels like it's really going to be centered around his quest for redemption in the world's eyes um and the she people that he loves eyes mm-hmm. you know like this i mean i felt like not much happened with the main plot of the book. You know, you had Captain America, you know, putting a stop to another terrorist attack by these, like, nuke soldiers. Um, but then it was really mostly about the interaction between him and Sharon. I feel like that was a good part of the book, um, which, you know, I liked. Um, it seemed an interesting point to put this story since it's just the second mm-hmm. issue. Um, so... I don't know, like, we didn't get to see the, um, what I'm guessing is the main antagonist, the, um, um, villains that were introduced to us in Russia, you know, who, uh, like, sack or kill one of the Hydra agents yes. that they capture. Um, they, they weren't in the book at all, I believe, right? So we didn't, like, visit with them. This was more about, like, you know, Captain America and him dealing with his relationships at home and public perception, which I'm fine with. Yeah. It just felt like an interesting choice for, like, the second issue. You could think of it as a secondary antagonist. He has to deal with the people and the government that he's been serving. Mm-hmm. Like, the public perception yes. and everything like that. And, like, he's definitely on his own. They mm-hmm. made that clear. This group that, you know, this government-run, like, group um, that Ross is running and that he's put, like, Sharon in charge of, um, they don't want Captain America's help. And they're asking him to stand down. Um, so, and he's the first one on the scene, of course, when the nukes, you know, show mm-hmm. up, um, which they're kind of pissed off about, it seems like. Um, we learned that Ross was part of, you know, I guess he led some team against Hydra, um, with the initial takeover. So, um, that's why he's kind of been put in this, like, you know, position. So, he's pretty high up on the food chain, mm-hmm. government-wise now. So, he's, like, almost, like, commanding, like, demanding that he steps down, um, so he's going to be kind of on his own, kind mm-hmm. of like this lone wolf like storyline. You know, I understand why the government wouldn't fucking trust him. They bring know? up a lot of good points. They're like, how do we know that the, you're even the Captain Rogers that 
wasn't... Yes, exactly. How do we know we have the right person in prison right exactly. now? Because they do have, you know, the evil Nazi Captain America, you know, locked up, supposedly, yes. right now. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean... There's a lot of intrigue there. I just don't know if a lot happened, like enough happened for me in the second issue. It was a good book. Mm-hmm. It, like once once it's collected and re- you read it all together, it doesn't matter, I guess. Um, but I'm hoping that this is like, I don't know, there's a shorter time in between mm-hmm. issues, um, you know, for this story to like kind of develop. Because it did feel like kind of like it really got started in issue one and then kind of like slowed down almost to a crawl in the second issue. Yeah. So, um, I will say, I don't know how much of, I don't, cause Sharon seemed very in the first issue, like untrusting of him, mm-hmm. but then this one, she seemed to kind of let it go a little bit more. Yeah. But do you trust her or is she just keeping an eye on She is a fucking spy too. True. You know? So, I mean, is she just saying that to kind of, you know, I don't know, get him to put his will down a little and kind of like, you know, keep an eye on him at the same time. So, it's possible. I didn't see anything that hinted to that, but it's possible. No, no, it could be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Or it's just, I don't know, bad writing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're right. It did feel like she was a little more like forgiving. You know, keeping and... him at arm's length, mm. though, almost emotionally, at least. So, um, but she's excited to be kind of, I don't know, involved in this like government program again and kind of being like, you know, in charge of something. Mm. So, um, it seems like it's going to explore, you know, the relationship between Steve and Sharon a lot, um, you know, which is cool, which is cool. A lot of books kind of like look past that, but I mean, they've got such a huge, you know, history together. Mm. So it makes sense. I just don't know if I want another issue of them sitting at a table talking. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> so not that this was bad. It but... wasn't bad. I, I just, the next issue does need to start with our villains. Exactly. Doing something. Yes. Yes. Yes, a little more action is mm. Captain fucking America. So, <laughs> but all right, moving on, we've had the Astonishing X Men number fourteen, and this is the second issue of Matthew Matthew uh, Rosenberg's yes. uh, run. So, I mean, they kept the numbering. I'm surprised they just didn't do like volume two, but it feels like that's going to be the thing where they mm. give the the writers like a couple big arcs, and they're going to move on to another like creative team. So, um, which I don't know, I've got mixed feelings about, but I don't know. So far, so good with, you know, mm-hmm. the stories that they've been telling. Uh, Soul was on the last one. So, but, all right, let's read the blurb here. Um, the penciler was Greg Land, which I, I really love the art in this book, too. So, yes. um, uh, this month we've had some great artists on these books, so we've been lucky. That's um, not Mystery and Mandrapore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, we just won't cover that book, I guess. No. We talked about the last, uh, the missing episode, the lost episode. So uh, we'll do we'll like let a it die special. There. Something. <laughs> we'll let it die there. Yeah, yeah, because I, I there, there's one more issue left of that, right? Yeah. So yeah, we'll get there, right? Um, welcome back to the X Men stage, the incomparable, the amazing, the uncanny Dazzler. The Reavers are hunting random mutants, so Havoc and Beast must save a former X Men. But these Reavers aren't completely as they seem. Um, so we had an interesting. It was I love this ragtag group, by the way, that they formed. Yes, the but um, it starts off right where we left off with um, Banshee screaming and blowing all the Reavers away. Yeah, we got Zombie Banshee. Yes, um, <laughs> Warpath comes in and saves Havoc. I think at the last moment, or 
was it Beast or Head? Either one, he saves them. He saves them all, basically. Yes. <laughs> um, which seems out of nowhere, mm. but we find out that he's been sent by Kitty yes. um, to keep an eye on Heaven. So, I, I liked that development just because mm. it makes sense. Why would I trust you? You've been a villain for the last year or so. Yes. So, I'm going to keep an eye on you. Um, you've got Beast basically, you know, figuring out exactly why the Reavers have attacked him. They go through one of the Reavers' um, mind. They, the one thing I did have an issue with, it feels like they kill the Reavers a little quickly for X-Men. Yes. Um, they're they not usually... getting beheaded and... Yeah, it doesn't feel like an X-Men thing to just kind of kill so, like, matter-of-factly. But I guess, you know, there are, like, part machines and the Reavers mm. do kind of, you know, upgrade themselves and come back to life quite often. I guess, but at the same time, I feel like it's because it's this team that doesn't really, like, it's not a congruent team working with the yeah. X-Men. They don't really know what they're doing. I'm I, trying to give them a pass. Here. I guess, yeah. I just, it does work <laughs> out like Havoc to kind of be like that, but I get what you're saying. Um, this you know, just and like it, it kind of like, and it seemed like War Warpath doesn't give a shit. Yeah. I know that for a fact <laughs> from reading his X-Force um, run. But um, he, uh, yeah, so basically he downloads all this information off of one of the Reavers, um, you know, computers and is able to figure out that he was part of, like, a hit list, and there's, like, 36 or 37 yes. X-Men part of this list. He was number one, um, but they realized that they need to go and, you know, uh, protect, you know, the rest of the list. And yes. they, they go and they search out the second person on the yes, list. Yes, but before that, they recruit one more member. Yes, they go and they knock on the apartment door of a very drunk and Donna's <laughs> luck, uh, Colossus, yes. who is dealing with the ramifications of uh, his wedding being called off. So um, I love seeing a drunk uh, Pe- Petro, you know, it was pretty cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, he he's definitely, you know, in bad shape. <laughs> um so he's all about, you know, getting his mind off of things, though. It's mm. very easy to recruit him. Do I get to hit things? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally his line in the book. Uh. So, uh, but he pretty much stays drunk throughout this mm. whole book. So um, Havoc's kind of annoyed that Warpath is there, but Warpath is there. He's kind of dealing with it. Mm. And, you know, he's kind of hoping maybe he joins the team, it feels like. Um, they need all the help that they can get. Because yes. right now it's just really him. A zombified like Banshee, um, Beast, Colossus, and Warpath, yes. you know, who's just kind of tagging along. So, um, you know, and then that's kind of played up too. Like, no one knows exactly how to react to Sean because they're excited to see him, but then he's just like quiet. Mm-hmm. So, like, they know something's off with him. So, we'll see how that unfolds. Um, but yeah, so they end up going to, uh, a Dazzler concert. Yes. Um, and it makes you feel like they're there to protect Dazzler mm. and to talk to her about, you know, maybe possibly being on this list. Um, but when we get backstage, and it's a sad scene, there's only like a few people there in yeah. the crowd, including them. So um, I wasn't a huge fan of like how they portrayed Dazzler just because I felt like she was in a better place than this. Mm. Um, but I get it. it Dazzler is an awesome character, and I don't like it when they play her for like almost like a joke. Um, the joke was well done in this book, don't get me wrong, mm. but I just, I don't know, maybe I just love that character too much. Because she was like part of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a time, and you know. It so did just feel weird, especially even just like, to have her have this like, 10 person crowd, yeah. and she's like, down her luck, she's like, 
really just ready for anyone to take her out of and the I situation. And I just don't, I don't know how this character got to this point, because from where I saw her last, which I feel like wasn't that long ago, she didn't seem to be, like, mm. at rock bottom. This definitely feels like a character who's, like, almost at rock bottom. But even, like, her showing up in um, Domino recently, she seemed like everything was fine. So. Yeah. So this feels different to you? Yes. Yeah, so I, I didn't read Domino. She, I mean, she's there to, like, perform to um, Domino for her birthday. And uh-huh. It's just, like, a fun little moment. Okay. But, yeah, she seems totally fine. Yeah. She talks. I mean, that it, it just felt off to me. But, like I said, it's well-written. It's mm. funny as, as fuck. I mean, I enjoyed the scene and everything. Um, it shows her kind of, like, you know, her backstage and trying to play off that, you know, everything's great, even though they saw the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's got some insane, like, stage show. And we find out the reason for that is because her production designer is uh, Forge. So um, they even mentioned that there's, like, a mechanical mojo on the stage, mm-hmm. which is fucking hilarious that she would even have that um so i we also find out that they're there actually to protect forge that they're trying to like ask him why would you be on this list what's going on um they speculate that forge you know he's a an awesome inventor that's his mutability is just being able to invent anything from scratch so maybe the reavers were looking at him for like upgrades or something like that um but you know that's pure speculation Mm -hmm. at this point um, Dazzler throws a fit because she thought she was getting recruited to the team mm. and they were there for Forge. She even calls it a sausage show at one point. Um, they um, end up leaving. Forge doesn't want to go with them. Um, so they decide that they're just going to keep an eye on him. They leave through the back door mm. into an alley. And then all of a sudden this fucking army shows up of what they think is Reavers. Yes, but it seems more like a SWAT team. Yes, well, what they find out, they're attacked by them, they're saved by Dazzler, so they accept her on the team, Mm. Um, and then they um, ID one of them, they have a badge on, and they're part of some government program, it seems like, to their surprise. Mm. So it seems like the plot is, you know, running pretty deep here, and that the Reavers were actually working for someone. So, um... I thought that was a cool development. Um, makes the story, you know, seem bigger and everything. Mm. Man, Marvel's been using the Reavers a lot lately. I feel like we've been running to the Reavers left and right. Maybe that all comes full circle, like exactly why we're seeing them so much. Because they are part of Hunt. Yes, they're um, part of Hunt as And well. I feel like there was something else that they were in. But yeah, um, it, it really, I, I love the Reavers, so I love that we're getting the mm. Reavers. Um, but I don't know. I really enjoyed this team. I enjoyed the chemistry, you know, between everyone right now. I love that they're kind of like the down on their luck, you know, yes. X-Men that uh, they even, I think Dazzle refers to them as the X-Men and like Havoc's like, well, not technically. Um, so, yeah. Um, Havoc like calls out X-Men Assemble and Mia's like, you're yes. not allowed to say <laughs> you're not allowed. Like it's copyrighted uh. or something like that. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool, though. I like these, like, kind of the, this ragtag group of X-Men who are just, like, you know, I don't know, all trying to, like, you know, figure out their place in that. I mean, when they announced the team originally, I was like, how, eh, this doesn't really seem eh. like it works. Yeah. But it's been fun completely. Yes. Yes. So and fun. I really enjoy a lot of these characters, but I just didn't see them together mm. as a team. It didn't make any sense on paper, but now it kind of makes sense to me, so... Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was astonishing. X Men, um, a nice start, and this this is kind of like the pace I'd like to see in a second issue. Mm. And, you know, talking about like you know bringing back Captain America. You know, this was really kind of like you know just we were right into it right away. Mm. So I enjoyed that too. It was good pacing and everything. 
he didn't really like you know fuck around with the story like he just went right away through the plot and like we got to where we were going mm-hmm. so um yeah but so now we're on to a whole lot of DC. A whole lot of DC. Which is different for us, but yes. we've got some DC to talk about. So. <laughs> There's a bunch of big stories. Yes, yes. And this is actually a book that we talked about in our last episode. But hell, there's two months in between each issue, so we're going to still fucking yes, cover it. we can it. wait a couple weeks if yeah. we want to. <laughs> right? Uh, Doomsday Clock number six. The critically acclaimed superstar team of writer Jeff Johns and artist Gary Frank continue this groundbreaking event as the mime and the marionette take center stage in Doomsday Clock number six. I appreciate that blurb from yes. DC. But usually, it feels like they didn't have anything to write, so they just they like the okay, the mime and marionette like are the center <laughs> of this story. So just say words mm. and put it on the paper. Yeah, no, I, I, I. Um, I just, I'm loving this series, man. Mm. I really did. And this was kind of a change of pace for the series. Yes. It didn't really deal with the main plot so much. This is more of an origin story for uh, Marionette and Mime. Mm. Um, but man, they, they've been like two of my favorite characters in this book. And they're brand new characters. Mm. And I was so-so about them. At first, in that first issue, I was like, okay, well, this just feels like they're like, you know, Joker and Harley wannabes or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, like, they just pulled them out of um, Watchmen. Like, it's just like, oh, these are just characters we have. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. And yeah. they're along for the ride for some reason. Yes. And it just, I was like, okay, well, I, I guess, you know. But this issue really kind of brought to light who they are and what mm. they're about and everything. And got me really interested in them. So, um, I don't know. Uh, they Basically, we find out that, you know, the marionette was, you know... Um, the daughter of an immigrant who was being basically, you know, um, I don't know, extortion extorted by, by the mob, the basically. Oh, was the oh yeah, well, it's like the mob run police. Police, yes, exactly. Dirty cops, yes. regardless. So, um, who is a marionette? Like he's he makes puppets and everything. He has his own store. Um, she meets the mime at a young age. His family also owns a store. Mm. Um, and we find out going through the thing, the same thing that she is. And actually, to the to the extent of his mom actually gets killed by these police officers, um, so basically, you know, in a nutshell, she walks in one day, um, and she finds her father hanging. So he's basically committed suicide in a way, in his mind, to free her of this life, so she can just run. And he literally says in the letter, "Just run, you know, and start over." Um, and you know. Of course, she doesn't. She's a child who's, you know, just witnessed her mm. father hanging. So, you know, she's there when the police show up mm. and everything. And, you know, they start reading the letter and she just fucking goes apeshit and lashes out. Right and we away. see little glimpses between then of what, like, interactions with the mime and everything with childhood bullies. Yes, she's being bullied by some neighborhood kids. And we kind of explore that relationship between mm. her and the mime. Um, and where he comes to her defense, jumps on them, um, and then she's got, like, she chases one of them down, and you see her vicious streak, mm-hmm. and, like, she's on top of her, and she's kind of begging her off, and she asks the mime for, um, for a bottle that he just, like, smashed into one of her heads, so, you know, she's, you know, got, she has a violent streak in her, so, yes, the police officers, the same cops who were extorting, extorting her family, 
um, you know, is kind of starting to comfort her, it seems like. And then she just grabs a pair of scissors and cuts one of her throats. Um, and then, you know, the mime shows up. You know, I can't remember his name. It's not um, I can't remember it. Yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get the name. And he is, he's a mute as a child, mm. too. So I found it interesting. Um, to the point where she actually literally asked him, like, can you talk? Is there <laughs> Um, so, you know, he helps her out, basically taking care of these mm-hmm. police officers and then they make a run for it. They show them kind of like in like a montage almost like, you know, growing up together on the streets and, you know, that they, you know, go to this life of crime and everything and that they're vicious and they eventually have their own child. Um, but in this, I believe in the other books, they tease that the baby didn't make it. Yes. But right. Because thing- Dr. Manhattan doesn't kill them mm-hmm. because she's pregnant but i believe she refers to like she implies that when she gets broken out of prison that the child didn't make it but here we see that she hands the baby off for mm-hmm. some reason or something happens they take the baby um you know which i believe is kind of a revelation so maybe that kind of goes into the plot and you know we'll further in the plot later at a, le- a later point but so Anyway, while all this origin story is going on, you have, you're kind of back in the reality, the the real world, you know, where we're at now, where these characters are part of, you know, in the DC Mm -hmm. universe, and they're interacting with the Joker, because last time we saw them in the other book, they're on a rooftop, um, confronted by the Joker, and Batman's prone body is laying in between them. So here you show up with them, like, in a sewer, you know, walking to some kind of, like, supervillain meeting with joker wheeling batman in a wheelchair um surrounded by his henchmen and everything um there's definitely like tension there between them and everything and at one point it seems like the joker actually tries to take them out when they start like killing one of his henchmen but then he's like oops i miss and then he's like oh i'm just joking and (laughs) um you know it was a really cool scene and good interaction and everything um but then we go to this huge like super villain meeting i forget what they actually like, I don't know, like, Joker's mocking it the entire time. Yeah, I don't know what the hell they're calling them this, the, mm. you know, this month. But it's this giant meeting, and they're all talking about the whole, like, Superman theory. Um, you know, what it means to them and everything. And they start, like, pointing fingers at one of the characters. I can't remember the character's name. I believe it's Hurricane or something. Yes. And then he turned, well, because he is another human. So, yeah, it's a character that I've never, I don't know of. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's, you know, fought Firestorm at one point or The Flash or something. But they're kind of, like, accusing him of him being part of this metahuman program. This whole, you know, basically government-run program to basically spark this metahuman gene in, you know, in these characters. Yeah. So then they can use them you know, almost like in like as weapons um, of mass destruction to kind of protect the country. So um, that's basically the whole Superman theory. (laughs) Very short version of everything. But um, so I don't know. It seems like the villains are all kind of like at what's end and trying to figure out what's going on. There's a lot of paranoia in the room and everything. Riddler's running the meeting and really upset because the Joker enters the meeting and it's like stealing his spotlight. Mm. But um, as they're confronting Hurricane, all of a sudden, I believe that his name, um, all of a sudden his head explodes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we pan to the next panel and it's the comedian sitting yes. there with a fucking high power rifle who's basically taking him out. Um, it, all of a sudden chaos erupts. 
people are making a run for it. The mime is trying to sh- distract um, the comedian um, to protect um, the marionette. Um, everything just goes crazy. A grenade gets launched at one point, so and they all make a run for it. Um, we end up with uh, marionette and the mime together, um, and then someone kicks down their door, and it's the comedian. So I'm guessing this must be like some time later or yes. something where he's tracked them down. Um, he's standing over them. It seems like about to like make the kill, and then he gets electrocuted, and the Joker's standing over his body. So that whole relationship is going to continue between, you know, the characters, which I'm all about. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. It did feel a little off track for the main storyline, but I thought it was a great, you know. It was definitely like an in-between style issue, but yeah. at the same time. Because was... we got one of these issues with um, um, Rorschach. Rorschach, yes. Um, where we got his origin mm. and everything. So, um you know, my concern is only like a twelve issue run, so hopefully they don't have to like cram the rest of the story yeah. into those six issues. Um, but so far, I mean, this has been one of the more well written books that we're reading right now. Mm-hmm. I feel at least Jeff Johnson's doing a f- fantastic job, and I was very, very concerned about this book um, from the get go. But I feel like so far they've done enough where they're not tainting, you know the legacy of the Watchmen mm. and those characters. So, and there's a great mystery going on here, which has only like really begun to unravel. So I'm really just, it sucks that there's two months in between each yes. one of these. Months. <laughs> but um, we're still at that beginning point of the mystery, which makes it, which worries me because we're six. six yeah. We're yeah, halfway through. through. And we're, you know, still telling an origin story. I mean, I guess it did further the plot to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Um, and in a lot of this story, if you are reading this book, make sure you read the last couple pages. Yes. It's very much like The Watchmen, where they do use news articles and documents to kind of tell, you know, like further the story, really. Mm-hmm. So we do find out, too, that that character, that yes. villain that they're um, confronting, Hurricane was actually a government agent and was part of this program. So it seems like the Superman theory and everything that people are talking about is legit, um, that the government is doing this, and that, that that's, that's the reason why there's such a high population of these metahumans uh, in America right now. So um, we'll see how Dr. Manhattan is involved in that. I feel like he obviously is somehow, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've I've loved this book right now. It's my favorite book on the racks right now. So or one of my favorite books, probably next to Mister. Yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot as well. But I I'm like I'm like you. Yes. I have my concerns. I do too. <laughs> so um, yeah, man. I I don't know. Just that two month wait. Jesus yeah. Christ. But I mean, it's a good. I mean, the story was well told enough where I wasn't annoyed that it was an origin story. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to see another couple issues like this though. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to get into the story of the of it. Well, I think this is kind of like... I feel like that's the last bit of origin they really needed to explain at this point. Mm-hmm. Because everything else... I mean, we know Osmanius. We know all yeah. about Batman and Superman. We just need to know how this is all tied together. Mm-hmm. And if anything, maybe it's just explaining what the hell Dr. Manhattan is up to. Yeah. And like I said, I, I'm just glad that it doesn't feel like blasphemy yet. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the comedian's still alive. Um, it makes sense within this story. 
Um, we'll see how the story ends and if I feel the same way. But so far, so good. I mean, you could tell that Jeff Johns really like took his time and thought this out and knew exactly what story he wanted to tell. Yes. Um, this is a very dark DC universe, a lot darker than I'm used to seeing. So, but that's also the universe that we're getting in uh, Justice League mm-hmm. right now. So, we can dive into that. Justice League number five came out. Yes, uh, Lex Luthor's back in the present, just trying to live his best life after seeing what the future could have held for him. Luther's new mantra, embrace your doom. <laughs> so now he's like rounding it. up a new legion of doom to go on a cosmic wielding, a cosmic wilding? I'm going to say wilding? Yeah. I don't, I've never heard of that term, but okay. Going a cosmic wilding and establish himself as the biggest baddie in the DCU. In the in full recruiting mode, Luther approaches both Sinestro and Gorilla Grodd to join his new team, and he doesn't exactly have to twist any arms. They got they got a matching four hundred one k plan and great beanies after all. <laughs> Okay, what the I, hell? Was that part of the story? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Someone who's writing these blurbs really enjoyed their job. So it's like some intern who really got into what he was uh, doing. That threw me off when I said four, like saw four hundred one k plan. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, so, but that's really the vibe of this book, though. Too mm. like I don't know. I I really am loving what Snyder's doing here, and I'm so happy I can say that because. Mm. I've been really down, you know, with Snyder and everything that he's been doing the last year with Metal and even No Justice. Um, but I don't know. Like, this book has been just fun. I I love this idea yes. of, like, Lex Luthor, like, unhinged and going full villain. Um, you know, the last couple of years, you know, he's been playing on the side of heroes. Um, I mean, he's had his own motives, but yes. he's definitely been, you know, hero. But this is, like, an unrestrained Luthor. And just this origin story of how he put the Legion of Doom together. Um, I just, I really loved, I, I love seeing the villains get this much spotlight. Mm. You know, and this is him just recruiting the team. Well, it was interesting just to have this storyline where he goes to the future mm-hmm. and he sees like, oh, I succeed, but way after my death. Yes, it's and like it's, thousands of years or exactly. something, right? And it's basically the end of humanity. That's what they were saying. Yeah, that's what he gets the end of time. They can um, to. I, I feel like that's a great um, character element for him, especially, you know, to, it would drive him nuts knowing that he was, like, probably this close to succeeding in he his just, own lifetime, but yes. he just couldn't figure it out. Yes, yes. I thought that was really cool, too, but that kind of inspired him to figure out exactly mm-hmm. what he was missing and what they were talking about. Because they talk of Luthor, you know, they have a giant statue of him, you know, in the middle of, you know, the city. But they, I think they refer to him as the, like the, the great tragedy or something mm-hmm. like that. That he just never fully put it together, um, you know, at, in his time. So um, he basically starts to figure out exactly what he missed, um, you know, following the clues and everything like that. Like, I feel like I like this explanation, explanation more than I do with him just seeing that the world is on a darker tilt, you know? Because mm-hmm. that's where we leave off with... Um, no surrender. He's like, the world is in a dark place. There's no point in me being this hero for it. Yeah, and I didn't know, like, I almost read, like, I was like, is he being influenced by, you know, whatever he's holding at the time, mm. too? 
Um, what's the tree? Uh, entropy. Yeah, entropy. Yes. So, um, you know, basically his philosophy is, you know, people need to basically embrace their true nature, stop mm-hmm. trying to be this idolized version of themselves, and really just, you know, be who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, selfish jerks. <laughs> um, so he's basically just, you know, um, and then he finds um, basically his way, into, like he basically gives um, Sinestro the whole spectrum yes. and, that, you know, we've seen in the last couple of issues um, that's, you know, influenced Jon Stewart's character. That's the invisible spectrum. Yes, yes. Um, and, like, he, you know, reveals the whole um, still force to Gorilla Grodd and everything. He's kind of opening the eyes of all these other villains. Um, so I, I don't know. I love this backstory. It didn't feel abrupt that all of a sudden, you know, kind of we went, you know, in the past um, story-wise and kind of explained everything, exactly where we're at with the Legion mm-hmm. of Doom. Um, I thought it was, you know, a good reveal and it made me more interested in the story. Because um, it does kind of feel like, okay, all of a sudden Legion of Doom shows up Luther's already got this fully formed group and they have a plan. Well, this is kind of the behind the scenes of why mm. this plan is, you know, how this plan has taken, you know, shape and everything. Well, I felt, if, if last issue, I felt like they were, like, kind of playing around with, especially when they started off with Gorilla Grodd, you know, showing yes. his past. And we've seen, kind of like, little windows into mm. what's going on, like, to those characters, but this gave them the true motivation and everything, like, when he's standing there with Gorilla Grodd and Grodd's influencing that, mm. you know, I don't know, council meeting or whatever to, like, you know, destroy <laughs> each other, which was a great scene. Yes. And they're having this huge conversation while all this, like, chaos is happening. Um, well, know, giving Luther just motive. belittles that whole moment. He's like, you're just doing this as a show for Flash. You know? Yes, exactly. And I, I love that. But let me give you what you need, mm. what you really need, um, you know, which is the Steel Force, even though you hate the Steel Force. And <laughs> find it hokey. Which I guess it kind of is, and it feels like it feels like that's something that would have been introduced, you know, at some point. Yeah. Um, but whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know. This I'll is, take this a is, negative speed force. I don't need a still, a still force. force. <laughs> and then, like, I don't know. It's like from a turtle villain that he had. Yeah, in the, past. the turtle. I don't know. It's... Seems like a deep cut. But Snyder likes those deep cuts. We're finding out. So, well, it's. I think it's funny it's because that character was so obsessed with discovering the Still Force that it was almost made to be this joke, like, mm-hmm. oh, it doesn't exist. Of course, it exists. It actually exists. <laughs> the joke's on us. Yes. So and the flesh. Um. Yeah. No. I. I. It, this story's nowhere near its conclusion. It feels like so he's no. playing the long game here, which is great. It, it tells me that he's got plenty of issues to tell his story which I feel like he needed with metal and with the amount of tie-ins that he had. Mm-hmm. I felt that's the reason why all those books were so heavy with like exposition and everything. Um, this is allowing the story to breathe. And that's what I really felt like he needed um, story-wise in the last couple of books that he's done. Mm-hmm. So it feels like they're, they're playing the long game. They're allowing him to tell his story and so far so good. Yes. This is part one of the Legion of Doom story. So we'll see how they, if they mm-hmm. spread it out between issues or if they just like... So this is like back. an arc in the midst of the uh, other arc yes. that's going on, which is pretty cool. So, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I DC's got it going on right now. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed, you know, what I'm reading from them. And that brings us to Mr. Miracle, number 10. Yes. 
So, um, Darkseid has put an offer on the table, something that can end the war between New Genesis and Apocalypse. Once and for all, the stakes are high, but peace is important. Mr. Miracle finds himself caught having to make a decision that won't just change the new life that he's been building, but potentially the entirety of the universe. Um, once again, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, quick question. Okay. Alright. Your daughter or... Oh, God, Billy really? Wilder. You're going to put me in this? <laughs> <laughs> but that's really what this book that's does. What this book is about. It really puts you in his shoes. Mm. He's planning his child's first birthday party, but he's dealing with the fact that he might have to sacrifice his child to save the universe, yep. really. Um, and he's just, you know, having to go through this anguish of, like, what to do. And, you know, I mean, can't he make this decision? So, I mean, it is a horrible, yes. horrible situation to be in. Um, it's, once again, they use the real world to anchor this story mm -hmm. and, you know, tell it in a creative fashion that makes you relate to the characters at the same time. Um, I don't know, man. King is just killing it. I mean, yes. he really is. He just won the Eisner Award. Um, you know, him and the artist, uh, Gerard, I'm trying to think of his name, which was just well-deserved. Um, so, I, I, man, there's only two issues left. That's the only thing that's got me a little worried because this is very much like, you know, <laughs> them just sitting around talking. Everything that mm. we don't want from, you know, Snyder's run, we're getting here, but we're loving it at the same time. <laughs> but it's just the way that it's done and the approach that it's taking, you know? Um, it's just so comical yeah. watching these characters, you know, dealing with, you know, universal, you know, consequences, but, you know, planning a kid's birthday party and getting advice from the guy at Party City, you know? <laughs> yes. like, that was a great moment. Yes, yes. And he gave a really great The answer. clerk from Party City is influencing, <laughs> you know, the universe, mm. you know, this universe, you know. And he has no idea. He has no idea. Just answering a hypothetical question. Yes, exactly. But so matter-of-factly, mm. like, oh, this isn't bizarre at all that this guy's asking me this question. I really enjoyed the elements between him and Big Bart, because Big Bart is all just like, no, there's there's no question to this. Yeah. We're not getting rid of our child. And they, at first, they just... I wasn't sure where she was at, and then, like, he starts bringing it up to her, and she's just cutting him off. Like, no, it's mm -hmm. uh, And then, finally, you see, you know, Mr. Miracle kind of come to his senses. Well, fuck it. We're going to just, you know, go to Apocalypse. I can take him, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they have this, like, great moment where, you know, it gets into the, like, mentality of Mr. Miracle where he has everything in his life as an escape from mm -hmm. something, and she starts playing that off. Are you trying to escape from me? Are you trying to escape? Uh, yes, where they're talking about the relationship. Every, yeah, you I know, thought that was the very... suicide, because they really danced around, you know, which mm -hmm. is the first issue of the story, where, you know, you know Scott tries to kill himself. Um, you know, and they kind of, you know, explore how that made Barda feel, because we haven't really gotten that, mm -hmm. um, that angle. Um, you know, Barda's just been kind of his rock, and we kind of see her almost, like, break down are you yes. trying to escape? I almost me. forget those moments in the beginning where she's just taking care of this guy who doesn't seem like he has it all in there. No. In his mind. Exactly. And she's just there for him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, it really, this book is really about the relationship between those two. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. And then just like him, just like matter of factly, like, you can do it. Let's yeah. go. You know, and she's like, I'll be at your side. And you know, that's where we're at right now. Um, 
how do you foresee this story concluding? I, because at first, you know, when I was reading this, I thought maybe this will happen on a happy ending. Mm-hmm. But at this moment, it, I, I feel like he might win in some matter. Way I don't see him beating Darkseid. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like as an escape artist, maybe he finds a way to escape the situation. And that's how it all ties around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have no clue. I really don't. Because it does feel like it could lead to that. But I just don't foresee them taking out, you know, Darkseid. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I really hope, because the confrontation between, like, him and Orion, like, happened off panel. Mm. Um, I hope that isn't the case yeah. with, you know, this confrontation. I wouldn't mind there being at least one major confrontation between him and Arrival, you know? Yes, and they've done action, you know, mm. in these battles so well in this book. Um, you know, where you're getting, like, banter between the characters and everything. But, I mean, the violence feels mm. real. It feels gritty and dark. Intense. Um, like, yes. Like, it brings you really into that war mentality that he's at. Sometimes. Yes. It's almost off-putting because, I mean, it's balanced out with mm. this, like, you know, this great comedy that's happening. Um, you know, which almost feels almost like, I don't know, like sitcom-ish, you mm. know, between them that's happening, like, in their living room, on their couch. Uh, but then at the same time, they're on Apocalypse and they're slaughtering, <laughs> you know, these warriors and leading this army. Um, this, this is, is either like a balance. really great classic tragedy or this is a really great classic comedy in my ideas. Or there, it's both. Maybe it's both. And maybe, um, you know, and there, do you still, because I know in the beginning of this story, you know, in the first couple of issues, we were questioning whether or not this was this yeah, is even happening. Because yeah. it is so surreal. Um do you still have those questions? Do you feel like maybe, you know, this is all in Scott's mind? Maybe he's still on the floor bleeding out, you know? Like, is that a possibility? Would that feel cheap now to you? I would, because I'm so now invested into where he is in the story, I would hate that ending, mm-hmm. but it's so much, it's, it's it could so easily be a possibility. Mm-hmm. But this all is all just being in his mind. It just feels like everything that's happened to this character feels almost like too much, like him being able to, like, you know, become the leader of New Genesis and, you know, becoming the new high founder and this whole, like, um, something that I, and I don't know much about Mr. Miracle, it just feels almost too much for this character, Mm. but it's been such a great ride. I I, I think I'm the same with you. Like, I just, I would hate for that to be the case. Like, I wouldn't Um, hate the story. It would all make sense, but at the same time, I would... Yeah. I would I want this to all be happening, you know? You know? Um, I agree. I agree. That um, always takes away from stories when that happens. Yeah. Anything. Yes, the New from Heart effect. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember New Heart? No. No, no you were way too young. So New Heart, New Heart was this Bob New Heart. Uh, this is totally down a rabbit hole. <laughs> but it was a series that happened in the 80s. Big run and everything. Bob New Heart had this other series in the 70s, early 80s. Basically, the last episode was Bob Newhart waking up on the set of the other series, and everything that happened in this the eighties series was a dream. He had bad Chinese food, so nothing fucking happens. Oh wow! So it would totally be the Newhart effect here. Sorry for that rabbit hole, but um, but yeah, I, it would really. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know if it would take away from the story for me, but it would definitely be disappointing. Mm. that makes any sense whatsoever um you know i feel like it's a book that i will read over and over again you know something i'll revisit at least once a year 
Um, I'm that much of a fan of it, but because I feel like it's a book too that's so layered that you'll find these mm-hmm. things. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. It'd be a little bit of a letdown for me if that is the case. But I have no fucking clue what's <laughs> going on. Really, uh, it's one of those books where I haven't been able to predict anything as well. No. Like, um, I predicted a massive fight with Orion. Mm-hmm. Completely skipped it to yes. birth. Yes. <laughs> so I have no idea where this I is going. I didn't see but... this like with you know, even with the child being born and everything. I didn't see this ultimatum, you know, being put on the table by Dark Side. You know, even though it makes perfect sense, mm. um, I didn't see that coming at all. So, um, but yeah, now great story. Last but not least, we have Justice League Dark number one. Yes, I did not read this, so it's all you, man. Uh, I highly suggest you do. I, I, even going back and looking at some of these pages, it was really well done. Okay. I will but, check um, it out. From the pages of Justice League No Justice, Earth's magic once belonged to them. Now they want the magic back. But who exactly are they? It's up to the new Justice League Dark to find out and stop this nightmarish new threat at all costs. After the events of No Justice, team leader Wonder Woman guides the misfit magic mix of Zatanna, Swamp Thing, Man Bats, Detective Chimp, against enemies too fantastic, even for the Justice League. Plus, what awful things are coming through the Tree of Wonder? Dark days ahead. Dot, uh, dot, dot. The Tree of Wonder. Yes. Um, Detective Chimp is back. <laughs> is he part of the team? Is yes. he like a full like member of the full team? Full member of the team. Right. The only one that really is helping Wonder Woman at first. Is he a mystical-based character? I your guess is as good as I guess we, well, I mean, we kind of magical friends in Snyder's run, right? That's how he got his powers somehow, or became like sentient. Yeah, was, was yeah. I don't know shit. So, <laughs> uh, the, well, the only reason I know is because it was in mm-hmm. metal, I believe. So, um, yeah, and like Wonder Woman never feels like a magic based character. So, like, it's interesting that they chose her mm-hmm. to lead this team. Um, how has that worked, like, exactly? Like, where, is, like, are they playing her as, like, a really magic-based character? Or is it kind of like she's a fish out of water? It, for me, it, and it's refreshing because of this, she is a fish out of water character in this kind of realm. Okay. Um, she's, where we are in the story is that she's trying to find people to help her deal with everything that she knows that's going on with the Tree of Wonder. She knows that it is bringing an end to the world, but no one in the magical world seems to care or want to help. Or they seem to very, very scared of the situation. Okay. Because they all are noticing that their magic is not only disappearing, but it's turning against them. This book uh, starts off with Satana uh, getting, like, she's, like, pulling a rabbit out of her hat. The rabbit's dead, and there's a big <laughs> tentacle monster that just starts attacking her and the whole crowd. This uh, is a, is still doing magic shows? Yes. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. Um, I, it's what she likes, I guess. I guess. Okay. <laughs> I just would think that she had better mm. things to do, like saving the world or something. But um, So, okay, so her magic's turning against her. Um, is that, like, when Wonder Woman shows up to, like... Uh, that's kind of where we get introduced to Wonder Woman, hanging out with Detective Chimp, uh, trying at, at his bar, the bar that we see in, in metal. metal. Yes. Um... You know, Detective Chimp is explaining how when his friend died, that the, the original owner of the bar, um, no one, none of the magical beings really want to go there anymore. Uh, he's interested in helping her, but he's very much playing like off how like not serious he is about it. Okay. Um, 
He seems conflicted. He's he's reluctant. He's very co- comedic, I would say. Oh, okay. Than, he's more of the comedic relief throughout the story. Oh, okay. okay. Um, Zatanna tries to reach out to figure out what's going on with her pro- uh, powers, what's going on in the world. Um, so she reaches out to Wonder Woman. No, not yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll get there. Okay. Um, so she starts heading out, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, she runs into none other than uh, Constantine, um, and you know, explains. Constantine explains, "You're not ready for this. Uh, there's a whole like mystery going on. That it, it's bringing the end of the world, and uh, you're not prepared for this." And it's kind of like a tease because Constantine is usually known for being like part of either Justice League Dark or. Um, around that kind of magical universe, mm-hmm. um, is he not going to be part of this? As game? far as far as we're aware right now, I feel like he's going to be a big part of it later. The way he was interacting with her in the story felt like, okay. oh, this is like just because hey, he's been part of the team yes. in the past, mm-hmm. so I'm surprised by that. Um, so we've come across Satana meeting up with um, Swamp Thing, who is trying to talk to the Tree of Wonder. Um, he explains, you know, this isn't a you know, part of the green, so it's not really, you know, he can't really have any control over it or any real interactions, but it is talking to him. And it uh, sends a message to Zaytana. And we see her father um, explaining, you know, the original owners of magic are coming back to take all the magic. Is it actually her father, or are they using her father? It might be just, I mean, it's like a flaming version of her father. Okay, so we yeah, know. I believe her father's dead. Yeah. So, okay. Alright, that's cool, though. And then we jump back to uh, Wonder Woman, who is like um, now explaining what her mission is to Detective Chimp. Um, and they and she's been getting help from Man Bat. Why not? Uh, <laughs> he's a like, completely reformed guy. He's trying to like um, get on better terms with the government and everything. Yeah, I believe he was part of like the detective, like um, the roster on Detective Comics. Like, oh, okay. There was like a little like Gotham team almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I could be wrong about that. I know like Clayface was like part of that team too. So I thought Man Bat was part of it, but um, anyway, so Man Bat is part is going to be part of this yes. team. I didn't know he was a mystical like based character. So, but I mean, I don't. Maybe I just, <laughs> maybe I missed that part, or maybe that's a development that's happened. Later well, on. I mean, he's he's definitely not he's not a mystical based character. Okay, it's just interesting that they that would be a character that they've introduced in the story. I, I just assumed he, that would be he's all, approaching like, this with a based. scientific uh, background. Yeah, because that's what yeah mm. that's how he comes upon his uh, powers and everything. You know, he's very much like the lizard in yes. like the Marvel Universe. So, um, Yeah, okay. So, so far on this team, we have Wonder Woman, Man Bats, yes. Zantana, Detective, Detective Chimp, and Swamp Thing. And Swamp Thing. Okay. Very interesting group. Yes. <laughs> yes. But you said you really enjoyed it. Yes, I really enjoyed it. Um, they all end up getting roped together by the end, um, facing off these zombies that just start showing up. Okay. I love zombies. Yeah, so that's cool. <laughs> um, so that's so. What is different? Because I know you weren't a huge fan of No Justice. Mm-hmm. What are they doing differently? That's getting you interested in like the whole like you know trees of you know magic and wonder or whatever the hell they're calling it. I think it's not over explaining what's going on. Uh-huh. Like it's leaving enough mystery to make me want to read what happens next. Okay, while also getting me like this is again. It's kind of like almost. It's not 
humorous like Astonishing X-Men, but it's this ragtag group that's kind of all finding themselves coming together for once. Yeah, because I'm surprised because, you, I mean, you definitely weren't excited about Detective Chip and Metal. <laughs> <laughs> and you definitely weren't excited about those fucking trees and um, no. no Justice. This is combining both of them, but you're actually enjoying So it's just a different story, mm. like telling style, the approach that they're taking. Yes. That's kind of got you This could easily go... Off the rails. Yeah, off the rails. <laughs> I, I mean, there's original owners of Magic returning. Okay. So who knows what the fuck that means <laughs> right now? Yeah, okay. But I'm very interested. Um, Who's it? Um, that's why I am just I was just about to say. Uh, James T. Uh, Tinian? Okay. Fourth? I believe um, they did one of the tie-in books for Metal. Okay. And those tie-in books were great. Mm. And most of them I really enjoyed. So uh, he's done a lot of work with Constantine, and he's done a ton of Batman stories. So. Okay, okay, which would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, yeah. I just I don't like if you like just laid that out on paper, like basically you did. Like it would just seem like okay, I don't want anything to do with this book, <laughs> but you're putting your stamp of approval on it. So, I'll, so far, we'll check it out. You know, give it. Yeah, a we'll rating. see issue two, and if it goes off the rails, then it goes. How's the uh, art? On um, the art is very well done. Uh, that was by. I'm going back to the page one second. <laughs> Um, Raul Fernandez or Alvaro Martinez or uh, it's got them both listed oh okay so. okay fair enough <laughs> it's a team effort um, alright well I'll check it out man um, sounds good that's going to do it for comics yes. this week hey guys if you enjoy pro wrestling and even more so enjoy fantasy booking then head on over to my podcast Omega Luke Pro Wrestling after you've listened to the amazing nerd show obviously and check out one of our episodes so far, we fantasy booked the tag team division, Cat Hawkins losing streak, Marty Scale joining WWE, and even done an episode with what culture YouTube man and professional wrestler himself, Simon Miller, on how we would book CM Punk returning to WWE. On Fridays, I also have bonus episodes reviewing the week's NXT and a Wrestle of the Week segment. So check out Omega Luke's Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or however else you listen to your audio. And if you have any other questions or suggestions, I'm on Twitter at Omega underscore Luke. Back to Christian and Damon. Move on to the world of wrestling. All right, so we are two weeks out from SummerSlam, and by watching this week's shows, it, you wouldn't know <laughs> at all. Um, you would think we're a month out. So, I, very, very strange booking going on. Raw very much felt like it was treading water. Um, you know, next week is the go home show, but mm-hmm. this felt like the go home. Show. This almost felt like a rerun of last week's episode where it felt like we were just hitting the same story points. Um, not much happened. So nothing really furthered the story. You had an interview with Heyman that was well done, but I mean, that goes without saying. Mm-hmm. Heyman's awesome. I'm like, very emotional Paul Heyman crying throughout the entire thing, yes. um, you know, mourning the loss of his relationship with Brock Lesnar, basically. Do I believe him? Probably no. not. Um, so is he working us? Probably. But still well done. Um, you know, Heyman's just the best on the mic. I mean, that really, you know, it just makes you even hate the angle more with Lesnar because Heyman hasn't been on camera for the last, you know, six months really or some, however long it's been since Mania, mm-hmm. um, which just seems like a crime. Um, you know, at least put him with someone else, you know, give him another, you know, guy to like, you know, advocate for. So, um, but yeah, it really didn't do anything 
for me, though, storyline-wise, um, the one thing that I got out of it was Heyman's fear of who Lesnar is now. Um, he ends the interview basically saying that Reigns has no chance against this Brock Lesnar. Like, you know, kind of, you know, foreshadowing things to come. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, this is a different version of, you know, the monster. So, um, that was interesting. Um, was it enough to sell me on the match? No. You know, do I want to see this match? No. Um, but that's neither here nor there at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it anyway. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to get anyone added to this match at all at this point. I mean, maybe we got a cash in from Braun. I hope so, but, um, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised with Lesnar going over at this point. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised with him walking into UFC with, you know, the WWE Universal title. So, um, That's a way to advertise. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know if McMahon would do that, you know. I mean, he's still an old school wrestling guy at heart. So if Lesnar loses that match with the Universal title, I don't know if he would see that as, like, tarnishing his belt. So, I don't know. I don't know. I just wouldn't be surprised anyway, mm. you know, at this point. I don't like the way that they're trying to make Lesnar the heel in this situation. Um, I don't think it's working, you know, so um, it just really just feels very forced and desperate, you know, like him turning on Heyman last week, which we talked about in our, you know, missing episode. Um, it, it, it just felt like, desperation like mm-hmm. oh all the smart fans they love paul Heyman. you know maybe a way to get them to turn on lesnar or cheer for roman would be having lesnar turn on Heyman. um but the whole episode revolved around that going back and forth between you know Heyman and lesnar it just became too much um and even the way that he did it was unconvincing he just kind of got in Heyman's face at the end he saved his job um, but then still, like, had him down on the ground, holding his face, you know. Um, I don't know. It just didn't do anything mm-hmm. for me. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past them, like, having Heyman turn on Lesnar and side with Roman as a way of getting Roman over. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that would really work. The only way that would really work, I should say, is if they, like, turn Roman heel. Exactly. That's yeah. why I was thinking. Because like, you can't have a face Heyman. Yes, exactly. So if you turn Roman heel, but then their whole reasoning for not turning Roman heel, which is ridiculous, is, oh, well, fans are going to cheer on them. It's just the time-honored tradition of how they've gotten people. It's not working. It doesn't work. They did it with The Rock. The crowd was screaming, die, Rocky, die. When they were trying to shove him down their throat, they turned him heel. The crowd hated him at first, and then he got over as a heel. They still kept him a heel, though. You know, and it still worked. And he became the biggest superstar, you know, mm. next to Stone Cold Steve Austin that they ever had. So I don't know why they feel like they, they won't work this time, but whatever. Um, moving on, you know, it is what it is. I'm just over that whole situation. <laughs> uh, Ruby Riot returned. I didn't know she was on her way back at all. Like, I, I thought it, she was out for a long mm. period of time. I'm happy that she's back. It just was done in a very, like, uh, matter-of-fact, like, way. Like, yeah. it was just kind of like, oh, here's Ruby Riot. But at least have an attack after 
the match or something after they yeah. won. Just... I don't mind her interfering in the match and like hustling the match, but like she was in a hoodie and she showed up. Like I don't. It just like the crowd didn't even know how to react to it. I don't mm-hmm. know. It just I don't know. It just didn't feel big enough, you know, for that story. Um, we've got Bailey and Sasha still teaming together, yeah. acting like a tag team. Sasha's been like hitting on social media that, you know, they want to be the tag team champs. So I don't know if she's been told to kind of leak that information, if that's real information or her wishful thinking that there will be tag team titles. Um, we shall see. So, um, but yeah, they're very much all back. I can see them beating B team. (laughs) 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 Women tag team champions. Christian. Um, I could see the B and B team too. Uh, (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, I'm trying to think what else. I, they're definitely foreshadowing once again. Um, Dean Ambrose coming back, or at least Jason Jordan. Seth is still thrown in the same situation. He demands a match between like Drew and um, Ziggler, like you know, um, to at least have a tag match. Mm. Even the odds, he's told to get a partner. We get fucking Roman Reigns again in his, like, fourth segment of the night. Um, but then, last minute, he's taken out of the match by Stephanie McMahon. So then he goes at it alone and, of course, loses the match. So, um, it was kind of, they said, what did they allude to? Oh, they said, like, well, it's not gonna be Dean Ambrose. I was like, okay. Why just leave that open? Don't, <laughs> at least, you know, mm-hmm. give me a reason to watch. Um, you know, like, he's still injured. So I don't know if that was their way of, you know, like, it's not going to be tonight, but maybe next week, you know, just throwing his name out there or teasing it. I don't know. I don't understand the point of that. But, um, you know, because at least get me a little more invested in the match by maybe thinking, oh, maybe Dean Ambrose will come out, you know, or fucking Jason Jordan for that matter. But did not happen. Um, So, but I feel like it's going to at least, like, someone's going to show. He does have an IC title match against Ziggler at SummerSlam. I'm guessing someone shows up to even the odds at SummerSlam. At least like, that's what they're alluding to, mm. I feel like. Um, but, yeah, man, I, know. I want that, something bigger for Ambrose if he returns. Where would you put him? I don't want anything. Like, you know, where I'm at with Ambrose, like, I'm not interested in face Ambrose. Mm. So if he returns, I'm fine with returning to help out Rollins, but then he needs to turn heel, yes. like, right afterwards. So, is that what you're kind of, like, getting at? Yeah. I just don't need face Ambrose anymore. You, you know done. that he needs to come back as face first, though. Um, yeah, I guess. Because That's he's a, just going to get... Wrestlers have come back as heels before, though. Like, people have turned on people. Like, you know, it, it, it can work. Hmm. Especially with someone who's over as much as Rollins. I feel like, yeah, he'll get that initial pop, but if it's scripted well enough the next night he can get over as a heel if he wants to. Yeah. So I understand that. Like they did, that was the mistake they made with Rollins. When Rollins came back, you know, he stayed heel, but then they turned him face almost too quickly. But it was almost like in this very like, you know, matter of factly like way, like it was just like, okay, well, Triple H doesn't want me anymore, so I'm a good guy, I guess. I was like, well, no, you haven't earned that from the fans. Mm. So if if they don't script it well enough, I don't want them to do it, is what I'm getting at. So 
I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, and yeah, he got the pop, but he was still healed the next night, you know, with Rollins. I just, I don't, I'm done with Dean. I was, I was exhausted with the character, you know, where we're at last time we saw mm. him. So I just need something different and fresh just for the product in general at this point too. Um, but you know, maybe we see him side with Ziggler and McIntyre. Maybe that becomes a thing. You know, I don't know where they would go with that, but I'm also always up for a good faction. So, um, but yeah, now that's really, I mean, that's, I mean, Rousey had the main event at, on Raw. It wasn't much of a match at all. He, she just threw Fox around a lot. Um, do you, do you get the feeling that like they just send Natalia out there and they, I don't really give her the script because she looks like like a deer in headlights. Half I almost feel like it's part of the storyline. I feel like she's not really wanting to help Rousey, and I think she's going to. And this we'll, we'll talk more about this next week, but I feel like she's going to end up costing her the match. I think Natalia's going to end up turning on her at SummerSlam. Mm. So that's my speculation because I do see what you're talking about, where it feels like she's there, but she's not really there. You know. Um, she watches everything happen, and then she kind of she helps. She did get involved, you know, because I was getting, like, there was a point in the match where I was like, is she not going to help? And then she finally got involved. But I'm wondering if that's going to be part of the storyline, if that's really, you know, because right away when they put them together, I was like, oh, yeah, they're working mm-hmm. a program together soon. Because she just was face all of a sudden. Like, once she came on to Raw, it was like, oh, Natalia's a face now. I was like, well, that makes no fucking sense. She was the crazy cat lady over on SmackDown, so why is she the face? But that's the writing team right now. Mm-hmm. So um, I do feel like there's a heel turn coming, you know, rather quickly between them. I just don't know if they want to put the belts on Rousey yet, just yet. Um, so I could be wrong. So <laughs> and most of the time I am, so, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but SmackDown. So last week I felt like SmackDown had a really good show. Um, it did a really great job of, like, setting everything up for SummerSlam and, like, you know, the road to SummerSlam, if that's even a thing. This week, I felt like they kind of shit the bed. Um, it was more of the same thing that Raw was going through, where it felt like they were treading water. Um, they're not giving their champion enough time on screen, and I don't understand what the hell's going on. They're booking the WWE Championship like it's a secondary title. And I can understand if it was on both, like it was on Raw 2 or something like that and it was being overshadowed by Raw's belt, but it's on its own show. So like it feels like it's the US title or something, the way they're mm-hmm. looking at it. Um, last week we had Joe come out and cut a great promo on AJ, kind of setting up, you know, the whole feud and everything, belittling him really as a man and making him like seem like, you know, he was talking about his family the week before and Joe kind of called him out and almost made him seem like a fraud that, you know, he doesn't really care about his family, um, that he's kind of sacrificed his family just for the WWE and the championship. Um, so he like left it, like say basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing that his, his family will actually be rooting for Joe to win so they can see their daddy again. So it was a really nice piece of work though. Joe's just on point uh-huh. like right now. This week was AJ's rebuttal, and Joe was there backstage, but we had no interaction. And all we got was like maybe a three or four minute promo from AJ, and that was it. 
I feel like there's no, there's not enough heat mm-hmm. between these two guys. Like they haven't done enough um, to really, you know, get this feud going and get people to be invested in this. Like I almost feel like they're banking on, you know, fans like us, hardcore fans, exactly. just wanting to see this match. But they're not. There, there's no storyline here. It doesn't feel like this is going to be a championship match at SummerSlam. You know, we're you know uh, next week is the go home show. So I mean, they've got to do a lot to really get people invested in the storyline. Um, I don't know why they're booking the title like this at all. I mean, they've had you know the book brand split has happened in the past, mm-hmm. but they've done a much better job of booking that title, something that matters. This feels like it's taking a back seat to like the tag team belts. Like the tag team belts are getting more featured on the show. Um, you know, they um they've been opening Randy Orton opened up the show, um, which I I've been loving his um heel work um on the mic and everything like that. His motives make sense. He's super cold and calculating in the rain right now. Um, but his heel turn is explained. It's well done. Mm. It seems like something that he's been putting together for a while. Um, but like he got more mic time than AJ Styles did. You know, your champion. Yeah. And like Joe didn't even have a rebuttal. There was no interaction between the two. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. I don't understand what the fuck they're doing. So, and I don't know if they know. And maybe this is just like, okay, well, this is going to be a long-term program. This is just the start of it. You know, maybe we just, you know, book it on this, you know, spectacle of this match. And then, you know, we get into the meat of the story after, you know, SummerSlam. I don't know. But again, it didn't start that way. It starts with Joe randomly attacking Styles and well, signing the contract. Yeah, like Paige. Yeah, Paige, you know, making him the number one contender, mm-hmm. which you know, kind of felt like it makes sense why he would be number one contender, but it, it's not something he necessarily earned. You know, he was in a match with like our mm-hmm. truth that night, you know, before that. So they weren't doing much with Joe, but I mean, yes, he's definitely a worthy opponent for AJ, but yes, it does feel like something they just threw together. You know, I mean, I want to fucking see it. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but you know, it'll probably be the match I'm most looking forward to at the pay-per-view, but there's just no heat at all between these two. So they've got a lot of work to do next week. You know, I just mm. don't have any faith that they'll be able to pull that off. All I'm saying is just that when it starts at that intensity, it should grow a little bit. I would have rather seen Styles like pissed off trying to find Joe. Yes. You know, not oh, just I agree. so accepting and being okay. Because you did have that cool moment, yeah, where he jumps Styles, signs the contract, but then we've had two promos like solo promos no interaction exactly not even like and i'm glad we're not getting them like they're keeping them away from each other you know we're not getting them like oh we're gonna wrestle a random match Mm. on smackdown i feel like we got that with nakamura and styles yeah it's not gonna be like a tag match where they're on the same team or something yeah yes Uh, yes (laughs) that is very much the ww way of doing Mm. things we're gonna make you team together and then of course one of you is gonna attack each other and yeah um but there, it just feels like it's very lackluster. There's no heat here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I trust Joe to get this match over. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's probably going to be a contract signing next week or something. like. Oh, no, they did the contract yeah, that's signing. That's, that's right. Sense. They did do the contract signing. So there'll be some kind of confrontation. God, I hope next week. Um, but, yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if his feet go in a couple of months, and I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really want Joe to go over, though, and I don't know if I'm going to get that yet. Um, right now, I see that as a second month. Yeah. I'm just, the way they're, they're setting up Gordon, I feel like he's going to be the next opponent for AJ. Mm. You know, and the way that Gordon's being set up is kind of yeah, his I'm major take down heel. all your heroes. Yeah. This is line right That's now. His, yeah. He's, he's attacking everyone that the fans put on a pedestal, which is cool. I enjoy that. Mm. I like that whole angle. I love what they did with him and Hardy and him, like, you know, taking off uh, Hardy's face paint and everything. The one problem I have with that is I feel like Nakamura is getting lost in the shuffle too. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been doing great work as a heel. Like I really enjoyed it. You know, besides the fact that he's been punching the ball, people in the balls way too much. I still enjoy everything that he's mm-hmm. doing. Um, but I feel like he's kind of getting overshadowed by Orton because right now, as it stands, it's going to be Nakamura and Jeff Hardy at SummerSlam. But I, I feel like he's going to get added. Orton's going to get added to that. Or he's interfering in some way. Yeah, I guess. I just don't know. I don't know. I just feel like Nakamura is just a secondary you know, player, and he's got the fucking belt, mm-hmm. so it just doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, which is unfortunate. You know, I just feel like there's a way to kind of, you know, not spread that so thin storyline-wise, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe have Nakamura face someone else, and let Hardy, you know, face Orton at the pay-per-view. So, but, you know, that's just me, I guess. Um, Besides that, we had another uh, confrontation between Miz and Brian. Miz is on set for his show, and Brian surprises him and shows up and pounces on him. Um, it's very brief, though. Um, his security guards attack Brian, and then Miz is able to like get away by like breaking a bottle over Brian's head or something like that. But Brian's furious. So um, this is another match where I feel like. They have such a history here. Maybe they're banking on that, but I don't know. The build just feels, I don't know, light. Mm-hmm. So um, I have a feeling that they're, they're going to get a good portion of the show next week to kind of, you know, tell that story more. So um, I don't know. SummerSlam just feels like it's coming really quickly. Yes. <laughs> um, where what, the pay-per-view before last, it felt like it took forever to get to it. I felt like there was like a six week build or something crazy yeah. like that. So I don't know. I don't know if it's just a scheduling thing or I just feel like there's not much of a build here. Damon, I keep seeing more and more rumors though that they want to completely end the brand split. Oh, really? Yes. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like I don't mind the brand split because it gives people an opportunity to like be on the show. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the fucking Roman Reigns show. But at the same time, if they're not going to give a shit about the titles, you know, and, you know, treat, like, you know, the WWE Championship as, like, the TV title, for crying out loud, then I am, I'm almost about, like, if you're not going to do it the right way and fully invest in it, then I don't want it to happen at all. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. Like, I enjoyed, I believe I enjoyed the first year, and I, like, it was refreshing to have SmackDown, you know, as an alternative to Raw. And even, I, I wouldn't even say that as much as, like, last week. Like, SmackDown was definitely the better show. But I could see now why they would want that with that huge contract deal that they have with Fox. Mm-hmm. Why they would want to be able to utilize all their wrestlers, you know, 
expose whoever they yes, want on that show. exactly, on that show. And I'm sure that might be something that they worked in the contract. Like, listen, we need your superstars here. We're giving you billions of dollars, and that's what they got. Mm-hmm. And that's such a game changer for the whole industry. Um, we need your top guys, you know, on this show. So, I mean, maybe they are working towards that. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to pull that off storyline-wise, but, I mean, man, barely books the storylines week to week at this point, mm-hmm. so he might just not give a shit or say the fans don't give a shit and just do it anyway. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. You got such a big roster, though. <laughs> you know? I mean, they're gonna. I feel like they're going to have to like send some people back down to NXT at this point. There's oh, no right. way that they could have... They're not going to send anyone down. They're just not going to They'll just bury them. (laughs) It's unfortunate, but probably true. Uh, They just put them on whatever shows they get with superstars or Mm. whatever they have. Um, But yeah, it's disappointing. It really is. If that's the case, and you know, it just doesn't. Storyline wise, that would be the shits. But I understand why they would do it. So um, yeah, that's gonna do it though for this week with WWE. Yes, not much going on. SummerSlam. Woohoo! <laughs> SummerSlam used to be a big deal. Yes. It was like the second biggest pay per view. It still feels that way, but now I feel like I, they book it that way, or they like, you know, the way they promote it is like that, but now I, I honestly feel like Royal Rumble was the, big, the second biggest pay per view of the year. Like, to me, I mean, I've like, always saw the Royal Rumble as the second biggest, and then just. And maybe I'm. But just, SummerSlam was supposed to be like that mid year WrestleMania. Yes, yes. And that's the way. I mean, when it was just like the big four pay per views, that's mm. what it was booked like. You know, SummerSlam was a big fucking deal. Um, not so much anymore, man. Not with this card, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. All right, man. On to the G1. Um, so. Pretty much in the last couple episodes, we've been covering the G1 like mm-hmm. night for night. But we have a lost episode at this point <laughs> where we spent a good portion of time covering the last four nights of the G1. Mm-hmm. We're not going to backtrack. We're not going to go through that again. Um, it's about two weeks out at this point. Yes. So we're just kind of summarizing. Yes, we know. are fastly approaching the end. Yes, yes. And we actually, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, so we had pretty big events happen, um, today, Mm. this morning, early this morning. Um, so we're going to kind of just like go over the point standing and then just kind of talk about like our favorite, like highlights so far, the G1 and speculate exactly where we think Mm. this is going to end up. So, um, what do we have point wise? Yes. Uh, for block A, we have Tanahashi leading the pack with 14 points. Uh, we have Jay White with 12, Okada with 12. Then we're going to go down to Evil with 8, Suzuki with 8, Hangman Page with 6, Bad Luck Fale with 6, Elgin with 6, Akabe with 4, and Yoshihashi with 4. Right. Uh, It's good to see um, uh, Hangman Page has risen up a little bit in points. Yeah, he was at 2 for a long time. Um, For Block B, uh, we have Kenny Omega with 12, Naito with 12. Bushi with 10, um, Zack Sabre Jr. with 10, Sonata with 8, Ishii with 8, Goto with 6, Tonga with 6, and Juice Robinson with 4, and Yano with 4. And this is of Wednesday night. Yes. So um, I believe they will be wrestling again tomorrow. Yes. 
the block B went this morning, so block A will block A's night tonight, or I don't even know how it works time wise. This morning, or maybe it's next. It'll morning. be at three a.m. <laughs> three a.m. Well, we're so <laughs> I'll wait for the spoilers on Instagram. Yes, um, which I did this morning, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Mm. Um, man, so what are some of your favorite like matches that have happened so far? Uh, I definitely been following mostly Omega through this. I wanted to see how he handles it as you know the champion right now. I know where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking match with Ishii. Yes. Holy shit, man. That was a hell of a fucking match. And it came out of nowhere. They had a really good match last year. Mm. I actually remember watching. Because um, I'm not a huge fan of Ishii, but I remember that match standing out to me because it was so fucking hard-hitting. Um, but yeah, I was because the way that they've been booking Ishii this, you know, G1, he really hasn't been doing much. Yes. Um, he's had good matches. Um, he had a really good match with Koda. One of my highlights, fucking insanely hard hitting, where I literally thought, like, is there beef between these guys? There was fucking like throat chops happening. Um, but man, that match was fantastic. I mean, it's probably one of my favorite matches mm-hmm. in the G1, if not of this year. Um, just so much intensity, uh, the amount of like, I mean, I guess it's no selling, but it's just Ishii just taking a beating after a beating after a beating, and still getting up and surprising Omega uh-huh. every moment of the match. Just, just really nice sequences, mm. you know. Um, you know, because sometimes that stuff can get overdone and it gets exhausting and predictable. We see in the WWE where you know a lot of these bigger pay per views they no sell like their finishes mm. and everything. You're like, okay, we know this is going to be a near fall. Um, yeah, when it's done right, it's great, but it, it gets overdone a lot. But, like, this just, I mean, the chemistry between these guys, they know each other so well in the ring, you can see it, mm-hmm. um, where they don't have to second-guess each other. They know where they're going to be at and where they're going. Um, I don't know, like, how much Omega maps out his matches, but they're always so well put together. But he, like, Ishii's one of my favorite opponents of his. Like, the last two matches I've seen, like, he just, it brings out the best in Ishii, and I feel like it brings out the best in Omega. A mm. different style than what we see him, you know, do against like Okada or Naito. Um, I I just I really enjoyed this match. So I mean, they both were like bleeding from the mouth. <laughs> I mean, yes. Just Ishii. I mean, I guess I wonder if like wrestlers are terrified of like facing him because he seems so <laughs> fucking stiff. You know, I mean, he's throwing working punches. Don't mm. get me wrong. You don't hit people in the face that much without like you know people severely bruising up. But he's so stiff with it, and he's so stuck with it. It feels real. It feels believable. Um, and well, it the, can't be any different than going up against Suzuki, you know? Yeah. No, that's true. Suzuki, <laughs> but I feel like Ishii has more power behind gotcha. everything that he's throwing. So Suzuki just scares me. He just terrifies me as a man. Like, I would not want to be alone in a room with, like, it feels like something's wrong with him. Like, something's off with him. He feels like a maniac. Like, um, I I don't know. I love I love. Um, speaking of which, I love the story that they've been telling with him and Adam Page, and like he's really just sort of like a rising star, mm-hmm. and this is like really putting the spotlight on him. And like we said, I mean, you hinted at it before when you were reading the standings. He's been doing a lot of losing, but every match that he's had has been fucking quality. Yes. Um, and I love that he did finally get a win over. Suzuki, you know, which felt like a big deal. 
you know, and I feel like this is really setting him up for next year, um, that they are fully invested in, in him as a character and as a wrestler, and they're getting behind him. And I feel like he's going to get kind of like a Jay White push um, next year. Because um, the fans... If he doesn't get snatched up. If he doesn't get snatched up, that's right. Because, you know, Vince is looming. Mm. He's got that big contract. He, I guarantee you, he is furious about the ROH New Japan yes, um, G1 Supercard or Supercard G1 fucking in New York Wrestlemania weekend Madison Square Garden Madison fucking Square Garden that is his home so I mean there have been events in there in the past but I guarantee you he's furious um, so I wouldn't put it past mm-hmm. him usually this is what happens with him when someone starts getting a little too big or a little too cocky, he snuffs them out quickly. So he's vindictive, <laughs> um, you know, as a booker. I mean, rumors keep saying that they are planning a massive, like, buyout of all of the elite stars. I wouldn't put it past them. Hmm. Um, at the same time, the fact that they're kind of talking about it on the elites makes me feel like they're not going anywhere. This week, they kind of like, hey, what's going on? Someone mentioned, like, hey, what's going on with your contracts to the Young Bucks? They're like, we're not talking about that now. <laughs> um, the fact that they even brought that up, mm. you know, I don't know, you know? Well, though, I mean, I feel like the last two years alone where they keep mentioning, oh, WWE's interested in the Bucks, and the Bucks just like, like openly signing online uh, like, contracts. Yes, yes. I feel like you might get a moment like that again. Mm. Um, I wouldn't put it past like someone like him and Paige though mm. going like if they just offer him the world, um, but the Bucks I don't know, I don't know like I almost like if the, if the money's good enough though if they make an offer I would sign you know as a fan I don't want to see it necessarily because mm. um, I just don't trust the WWE, but I wouldn't I mean they need to strike when iron's hot and right now I don't think they're gonna get any hotter than at this moment. So, same with Omega. Um, but do I want to necessarily see it? No, I like having this alternative. I like being able to, you know, tune into New Japan and actually see wrestling mm-hmm. um, after being disappointed for, you know... Oh, and that's not to say New Japan wouldn't survive without that. No, not at all. But right now, they're the main reason why I'm watching New Japan. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're just the gateway into it. It, I, for me as a fan, it definitely would be disappointing to see them go. But I would still keep on watching the product, um, you know, because I feel like now, especially with this G1, it's been a great introduction to New Japan. Like, we, we've watched other pay-per-views and other big events by them, mm. but I feel like, like them having this English commentary and, like, the way that these matches in this tournament works it's a great way to get to know all these wrestlers and their styles and who they are. Um, you know, it's just a great introduction to the product. So, like, if you aren't watching New Japan and you're interested, this is where you should really jump in. Jump in here, get to know the wrestlers, get to know and see awesome matches. Mm-hmm. And then you can go back and explore everything and, you know, get, you know see all these five-star matches and everything. But this is just such a great way to really, you know, really understand the world, mm. you know, um, and their whole company. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, Hangman's really stand up. Coda though, like 
like I said, um, Kota's matches, um, you know, he took a couple losses in the beginning, um, but he's really, like, the story that he's been telling is, like, he's had to, like, knock it into the next gear, and all of his matches have been fantastic, you know, since those losses. Um, I really, really, um, like I said, I, I brought up, like, that match between him and Ishii. Before the Omega Ishii match, for me, Kota and Ishii were, well, that was probably my favorite match mm. of the G1 so far. So I, I don't know. Do you have any other highlights? Um, they really stand out. I'm trying to remember what were recent ones rather than because I definitely liked um, Junior's performance in this. Zack Saber Junior. Mm-hmm. He, he was, he's not a big standout. I know in the whole crowd, but I've seen a lot more improvement rather than it just being. Um, you know, what's it called? Submission, 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 submission. It seems like he's been putting on a fucking match nah. rather than just showing off what he can do. Just chain wrestling for yes. the sake of chain wrestling. Um, which at times I definitely felt that way. Um, I really enjoyed the match between him and Omega. Um, yes. I, I think I even told you, make sure you watch yes. this one because he actually put in yes. some damn good work. And I like the story that they're telling where like Omega... He admitted before the match, he's like, I can't chain wrestle. Mm. So, um, and then he was like, who, who even does that anymore? So really just like belittling Saber. Mm. Um, but the fact that the story was really like Omega overpowering, you know, Saber, because it makes sense, you know, if you look at them physique wise, mm. you know, Omega would have to just overpower him, would very easily overpower him. So it makes sense where like, oh, I can't do these moves, but I can power out of them if I have to. But there was just great sequences and Omega can't chain wrestle he's full of shit. Yeah. So <laughs> But it's fantastic. It's it's great storytelling. He's selling it. Really yes. He's <laughs> no, no, no. Well he it's not really part of his, you know, repertoire. Like no, not, what? but like the sequences that they did, you know, it shows you a different I don't know, a different side of Omega. And it shows you just how well versed he is and everything. Mm. And I really I I love that. If you go back to his early work before he was just kneeing people in the faces, he was <laughs> chain wrestling. So. No, but not on the level that he does. He did with Saber. No, Saber's on a different. Like he's fucking like a stretched out version of Dean Malenko with his <laughs> chain wrestling. So I mean that. I mean, but my I agree with you. Where sometimes he puts on a hold, he doesn't hold it long enough. And it's really just a transition into another hold. Yes. It's for like that's the spectacle of the hold and how he's getting there instead of actually just holding it and working that hold. So, it just doesn't make him seem like a threat. It makes him just seem like he's just like sliding around in a ring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm starting to appreciate him more because um, it was just hard for me to like get a grip on like him being you know just him being able to pull off a mm-hmm. win in this way just. Just from his physique, and I'm not a physique guy at all, but just, I mean, he looks like an Olympic swimmer, He, you know, but not, a, you know, a very in shape Olympic swimmer. So um, it was hard for me to wrap my head around him being able to, like, hold his own in the wrestling ring. But, like, the way he moves and everything, you know, it, 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 he feels almost reptilian, like he's a snake, you know, he just wraps his way around you, you know, and suffocates you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been able to kind of, like, rationalize it that way for myself to really enjoy, you know, his matches. So, but this really, 
this, you know, that matchup between the two, I thought brought out the best in both of them. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, um, Jay White has yes. been another, I mean, I'm on the Jay White train. <laughs> you know, I was not. Go back a few episodes, guys, because he was not on the Jay White yeah, like, train. Yeah, right before G1 started, I was not excited about Jay White mm. and the push he was getting. I felt like he had talent, but I felt like they were giving him too much too soon. Um, I didn't understand the character either. What they've done with him and like how he's owning being a heel and just being a monster heel, the way he works and everything like that, just cheating to cheat and mm-hmm. finding every shortcut like possible to get by. Um, I've just really been invested in him, you know. Um, so I'm definitely a Jay White fan. He's put on some fun matches, you know. They're not you know, the technical spectacles yes. of that, you know, Okada and, you know, maybe Omega put on. But they're well put together matches. They're good stories and everything. And I know he has that in him. So I like this angle. He's really owning that character now. So I've I've enjoyed that, you know, and it made now I I can accept his push more. You know, I feel like he's gonna be like one of the top hills in the company. Mm-hmm. Um how do you feel about the uh, firing squad? Um, I mean, they've been fun. They've been chaotic throughout this entire event. Um, I, I mean, originally was hoping for much more from them, but mm-hmm. what we're getting makes sense. You know, it's fuck this company, fuck what this is going on. Let's just be us. Let's just cause chaos, cause be like almost original bullet club just do whatever we want yes yes and like screw your tradition screw your honor you know mm. we're doing whatever they are constantly interfering in matches they don't care if they get dq it just seems like they're there to throw a monkey wrench and everything mm. and we got that with you know this morning everything that happened um it now kind of makes more sense because at first i was i was enjoying everything but i was like this has to go somewhere storyline you know, because you had like Tomo with like two points at one point, mm-hmm. um, and like completely like mathematically eliminated after like a couple of nights. Um, but now it seems like their goal, from what we saw, um, you had them beat Ishii, or not Ishii. I'm sorry, you had them beat at it. What am I thinking of? You had them beat Coda mm-hmm. um, with a lot of interference. It was a great match actually in the beginning. I loved, cause I was kind of unsure like if <sighs> Tama could like hang with Coda. Um, but like, I love the story they're telling. It was like speed versus speed. They're both extremely fast, quick wrestlers, but they are just like matching each other. And like, they kind of played up like, like Tama's really good at defense. So he kept on like countering all these moves, you know, um, you know, back and forth between him and, Coda. Um, and then Coda fucking hits this insane spot. He goes out, they fight through the crowd, um, and then Coda goes up to the uh, balcony, walks like five feet, like across the banister. And this isn't like a flat banister. This looks like a round banister. I mean, he could have gone over at any point. The fans are right there. So if a fan like reaches out or something, I can totally see him losing balance. He walks the five feet though, no problem, like a fucking cat. High fives a couple of the fans in the crowd and then hits this textbook moonsault. I mean, textbook on uh, Tama down below. So 
this is the first time that Thomas actually come out without a member of the firing squad. So right away I was like, oh God, this is going to end up in just a fucking <laughs> schmaz. And sure enough, right when he hits that, brings Thomas back in the car, the bullet, the, the firing squad shows up. Um, you know, tons of interference. It brings fucking Kenny in. Um, the ref gets knocked out. Um, Kenny ends up getting the shit kicked out of him by bad luck. Bad luck hits the, um, his, um, what is it called? The fall away? Um, what's his oh. finisher? The fall away I think. Something like it's that. Something cute like, like that. It's like a razor's edge almost. So, but, uh, he hits that, you know, Kenny's out. Um, Tama ends up going over mm. on Coda, which causes a huge issue for Coda now because he basically needs Kenny to lose his match um, mathematically. So there's a lot of math going on mm. in this tournament. The drama's all in the math, which I kind of like. Um, so Kenny, though, has the match right after Coda. And he's laid out. Now, the Bullet Club does eventually run out and, you know, chases off the firing squad. But Kenny is laying on the mat prone when Yano's music hits. So Yano, of course, seeing an opportunity, and he's like, I think he's rocking two points right now or something. Um, He sees his opportunity, so he quickly tries to get the ref to ring the bell. Um, Kenny is able to answer the bell, though, um, puts on a bit of a fight. You know, it's a pure comedy match. I mean, they're using the turnbuckle pads and everything. They're, you know, um, going back and forth. They're literally like saber battling in the middle of the mm. ring with the fucking pads. Um, Kenny hits, or Kenny gets like like a brain buster onto the pads that Yano set, sets up. He first starts selling it. And then he's like, wait, what the hell? That didn't, like, totally no-sells it. Like, this is ridiculous, they're pads. Mm. Um, which I'm glad that he did, because I always question, like, why are people selling these pads? It doesn't make any sense. Like, is there something in there that I don't know? Um, but yeah, no, they're fucking pads. So it's pure comedy, but then, of course, towards the end of the match, fucking uh, fighting squad show up again. Fucking lay out Kenny and Yano over. So now you have a situation where if Naito wins his match against Sonata, um, he just needs Kenny and Kota to have a draw, mm-hmm. and then he will sneak in to the finals. So Naito is still alive. Yes. Even though he's taken a loss, I believe, to Kota, and I believe to Kenny. Yes. Um, but just the way the math works he would end up, you know, be able to sneak into the finals. So my speculation is that the firing squad is going to come out and cost, because they're facing each other next. Um, they're going to end up costing both of them the match, and it's going to end up in a double DQ, and it's going to end up in a draw. Um, either that or they go into a draw, because I believe these matches all have time limits. I think there's like a, a half-hour time limit. So I can definitely see it in a being a draw, and then you have, you know, Naito going into those finals. Um, I don't know who necessarily he's going to be facing. Um, I have my guess. It goes completely against who I thought was going to originally win this. I thought it was going to be Kota um, walking away. Um, I, I definitely felt like he was going to be 
in the finals. I definitely, I think I predicted that he was going to actually win the G1 and then we were going to get Kenny mm-hmm. versus Coda at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, but at this point, I feel like it's going to be the firing squad, you know, costing Kenny everything, basically, and Coda. So um, that's my prediction at this point. You know, I'm kind of changing it in the like, middle of everything. Well, well to but... get into that, so then who do you see winning the A block if Naito wins the That's a little trickier. Um, you've got Tanahashi right now at 14, but JY and Okada are still alive. Um, man. I feel like it's going to be... I want to say White is going to end up winning it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you have Naito versus White. But I wouldn't... I don't see Tanahashi winning it. You know, I just... I don't see him winning it. I know they love Tanahashi and everything. Um, and he's definitely... I mean, I'm sure the match would be great. You say that, but he has a lot of history with Naito. He does. He, he does. He has a lot of great history with Naito. I just feel like the way they've been booking White, but then I, I say that, but then the way they're booking Okada, that he's kind of like, you know, trying to find himself again. And we're getting this storyline throughout the whole G1 mm. of him, like, trying to discover who he is again. Where I could almost see Okada also, you know, going over here. And then you get Night over Sokata. Which is another which big is story. Fantastic story. And a great match. Mm-hmm. Um I still feel like Naito's gonna end up I, I just feel like Naito's gonna end up winning it at this point. You know, it should make you happy. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I know anything, but um Um Naito versus Omega main eventing Wrestle mm-hmm. Kingdom? Yes, that would make me happy. But what do you the, feel like is gonna happen? How do you feel like the B block is going to play out? I mean, I agree with... I, there's no way the firing squad doesn't get involved with their match. Oh, yeah. There's no fucking way they don't get involved. But I could still see Ibushi finding a way out. So you feel like they, they just put on like a classic match and they you know Ibushi actually gets the win. And they could totally play up that like Kenny can't like pull the trigger and go full out Ibushi, mm-hmm. but Ibushi's like, fuck it, this is mine, you know, kind of what we were talking about before, like, Ibushi's like, I, I see that you had to take this route to get where you're at, you know, mm-hmm. now it's my turn, um, you know, and kind of, like, be a little edgier and everything, and we've kind of seen that throughout G1. Yes, like, he's and, gotten more and more extreme throughout the entire Yes, era. exactly, like, he's had to turn it up a notch, so, um, I could definitely, I could see that, like, it, it's just, I love how unpredictable it feels mm-hmm. right now. Um, I love that all the drama is like the standings actually matter and it feels like a real sporting event mm. where you have to sit there and you have to analyze the brackets <laughs> and everything. Um, I, I love that because yeah, it's not like the fucking King of the Ring or something where it's no. like, okay, this is exactly where we're going. I can map out the whole fucking tournament before we even start it. Um, you know, heel face, heel face and you know, you're done. So, um, this is it. I love the fact that the G1 is, like, the whole tournament is unpredictable. You get all these really cool upsets and everything. Yes, who could have imagined Yano uh, pinning Omega? Yes, right? <laughs> right? But it, it sounds like there's always a couple upsets every mm. tournament. You just don't know where it's going to happen at. Um, 
so and Yano, I guess they were saying that it's an embarrassment to Omega because it's like the biggest like point differential ever between um, a, a winner and a loser. Mm. Um, so because I believe Yano at the point had like two. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I really don't know. So you feel like. Kota could still, Bushi could still walk I would away. love to see Ibushi win the G1. Yeah, I would love to see it too. I just... I just don't know if it's happening. Because there, I mean, that brings then, um, what is it, um, Kingdom Wrestle? Or not, Wrestle Kingdom? Not Wrestle Kingdom. Um, Dominican? The next, the, the next pay-per-view that's happening, there's like the King of Something. Oh, okay. Um, and that could easily be Omega and Ibushi versus, um... Tamatanga or and Brian Squad against Golden Elite, that kind of exactly. type deal. Yeah, I feel like that's going to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, definitely where they're going. So maybe the Young Bucks, you know, come into play. Then you know, I've definitely missed them. You know, especially in the tag matches. Me, I would love to see if this is like Naito going up, like Naito versus Tanahashi here, then Naito versus Okada at uh, the next event. Because um, usually the or... winner of the G1 defends their um, entry into yeah. uh, Wrestle Kingdom. So usually that's a thing um, where they have to defend themselves. I don't even remember what happens if the champion wins. <laughs> like, I don't know if he gets he to gets choose, to choose his, his challenger. opponent, I think, if he makes it all the way there with the G1 standard. Yeah, something like, yeah. It always throws me for a loop that they're involved in yes. the G1. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I, man, cause yeah, I, I really with, I think a block is more unpredictable than the B block just because I just, I don't know. I mean, if this is Naito finally completing his story, then I'll be excited, but. And then, but like, I feel like they're not going to, I feel like they're still behind Okada, you know, and like for him to lose this, I don't know. It's like, it feels like him hitting like rock bottom because the way his story's been going and everything and how he struggled at first and, you know, and, like, how he's been struggling in the matches and just not being mm. himself and, like, slowly but surely you're seeing him, you know, make that turnaround. I think he's going to have a big program with White. That's my predictions for him. Especially he's, you know, with, with his chaos. backstage, um, his interview where he was explaining, you know, I'm still going to root for White if he does better than me here at this point. But I'm going. But I'm going to teach him a lesson. So he's still. He's so he's. Was that before the G one started? No, this was recent. Recent, okay. Because yes. I was like, how is he? But that's crazy that he would still be because I mean, fucking White has been a monster. Like the way he's treating all the other members of Chaos and everything. I mean, what he's been doing with uh, uh, Yoshi and um, uh, what's his name, Show, and yeah. everything. Like, yeah. Because um, I think he even got into like Rocky's face at one point too. So. Um, He's just been a monster hill, and maybe that's where this leads up, where Okada's, you know, big feud is going to be against White, and you know they're not involved in the title picture at all. Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm all about it though. <laughs> <laughs> that's the twelfth, right? The finals is actually on the twelfth, I believe. So we're right yes. at the cusp. We're, we're right there. Yeah. So big week of wrestling ahead. Yes, it's coming up fast. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, I don't know. We'll find out exactly. We'll be here next week, hopefully, yes. as long as we don't have any technical <laughs> issues with uh, the results. And we'll be talking about the uh, preview for SummerSlam. Yep. Woo-hoo. 
um, <laughs> making our predictions. Um, and we'll actually we'll actually be talking some NXT too. Yes. So I've been watching NXT, so we can preview Takeover Hell for yeah, once. Man. So, um, <laughs> but that's gonna do it for this week. Yes. All right. So we want to go ahead and give some shout outs to some podcasts we think you should check out. Um, first is Zero Supervision Comics. Um, a comic book podcast that posts reviews and discussions about comics every week. Come check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Uh, next up is Casual Sincast. Uh, Casual Sincast is a weekly film slash TV podcast channel where we discuss current film, watch through the Criterion Collection in Spine Order, and more. Um, go ahead, give these guys a listen. Um, if you love film, this is the podcast for you. All right, next up is our buddy Seamus's podcast, Tuesdays with Mary, a cannabis-friendly podcast. Um, they talk movies, mixed martial arts, comedy, THC, never smoke alone with us. Um, go ahead and check them out. They're on all your popular podcast forum forums. All right, next we got Drunk Discussions. Uh, Drunk Discussions is a podcast hosted by Sean and Ocho. We get drunk and discuss things. We're just here to have fun. Check them out on iTunes. We need to get drunk and do this podcast. I was, I was literally. <laughs> <the same>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we might as well. It's one o'clock in the morning I again. I might be more awake. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not. I'm an old guy. I have like two beers now, and I'm like passing out. So. Fuck Red Bull, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta mix your uppers and downers. Uh huh. Oh, I know, son. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I'm just wait till you get to forty. <laughs> you have like two beers and you're hungover. It's the shits. It's the shits. Don't grow old. Christian. Hey, you know what it is in the shits? Us. Yes. Follow us on all your favorite podcast um, apps and forums. You know, uh, we are on Podbean. We are on iTunes, um, Stitcher, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, Spotify, Spotify. All the S's. Yes, right. It's a lot of S's. <laughs> Uh, Player FM. Google Play. Google Play, yes. I think, right? Yes, we are on Google Play. That's right. We just never look at it. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't follow us there, though. Oh, yeah. Everything is still attached. It all goes through our yes. Um, yes. RSS feed, whatever. Subscribe, follow, exactly. whatever that format tells you to do. Mm. Give us a rate. Give us a review. Um, that means a lot to podcasts like us, independent podcasts. Exactly. Um, Please check us out, though. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Yes. Um, and Twitter. Twitter's probably our main hub, but um, we offer different content on both um, mm. Facebook and Instagram. And the so. community is always, always growing. I think we just passed, like, 1,000 on, on Facebook. On fucking Facebook, right? Yes. That's pretty awesome. So um, Instagram's got to catch up a little, mm. but I feel like we'll get there. I'm not sure. So uh, I we, mean, hit, we, post we hit great over 5,000 on Twitter, so yes. that's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So go ahead and give us a follow. Um, what are we listening to right now, Christian? Um, you're listening to Them Guilty Aces. That's right. Go ahead. Awesome rockabilly band from mm. Chicago. Uh, follow them on iTunes. They got some free stuff you can download on their website. And they're also got a few videos, I believe, on YouTube right now. So give them a listen. And then if you liked what you heard in the beginning of the show, that's our friend Greg Rubner, our house DJ. Yes. Um, follow him on SoundCloud. He's also on Instagram. Yes. So that's going to do it for this week, right? Yes, it is. I'm Christian. And I'm Damon. That's the Amazing Nerd Show. Thing, won't you? Rolling down the